Welcome back to episode 96. Today's guest is Hugo. Hugo is one of my yellow belts, soon to be orange belt, as we mentioned. Unfortunately, we had to reschedule his test due to injury. He's also a programmer working for Activision, I believe he mentioned. And he is the founder of Peace People Ensuring Animal Care Exists. It's a not for profit. Uh, relocation program for animals that need homes, particularly farm animals, but I'll read more about that. Uh, Hugo's story is quite interesting in that he came originally from a Buddhist background from a perspective, not as a child, he's originally from South Africa. He found Buddhism and through a Buddhist organization and their training, uh, found Krav Maga. And we go into depth quite a lot about his background on this. Um, but here's something he said that I thought was very interesting. How I like to approach it, that is like you need to be acquainted with violence and how that functions mm-hmm. in order to actually have a proper relationship to it. Mm-hmm. Not that you're going to be like, you know, just tossing and becoming a more violent and aggressive person, but you need to have a relationship to it. So, you know, that's that's the same thing with, uh, you know, if we're talking firearms, there's even in that's a thing in, in um, Buddhist thought and philosophy is around. There's a notion called weapon principle, mm-hmm. right? Just like if somebody is standing there and like pull, brandishes a sword and holds it a lot high in the sky, like your people are going to react in turn. There's mm-hmm. a certain energy that happens there. Um, so it's like relating to that. It's like, let's rather actually have a relationship to it than just like shy away. Buddhism allows for self-defense. Didn't you know that? It's actually, a lot of people don't know that. I believe there's a quote from the Dalai Lama even saying, yes, you can defend yourself if it's a matter of life or death or you need to. Um, I'm going to be real quick. I'm going to try to shorten my intros about uh, this podcast is brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions since 2013. If you want to come train with us in person in the Metro Vancouver area, urbantacticskm.com. And we do not discriminate. If you know what that means, then great. If you don't know what that means, well, we don't discriminate. So all is welcome. UrbanTacticsKM.com. We also offer the Canadian Firearm Safety Course, Canadian Restricted Firearm Safety Course. The next course uh, may or may not be listed. You can go to our website, the CFSC slash CRFCSC tab. Screwed that up. Tab, and you can see when the next course is and sign it up. It's required for your Canadian firearms license or if you just want to educate yourself. There is that. You can also check out utkmblog.com where we have our curriculum every Mondays posted for our students and you can follow along. Uh, The podcast, older episodes are all there and uh, blog posts. I do hope more people are willing to contribute because this is for all Kramaga practitioners and martial artists. So, if you have stories to do with self-defense situations, martial arts training, and w- or would like to contribute a series, please submit it, info at urbantacticscanada.com. Any submissions that we do accept, uh, you'll be given three months free on utkmu.com. So utkmu.com is where I post the videos of our online curriculum. Right now, only beginner and novice curriculum. Uh, there is a little bit of free stuff there, but not too much, although one of the free stuff that's important is some videos I prepared for firearm safety, so that's free. Everything else will be paid access. Uh, I will have a filming studio sort of soon, so I'll be able to update a lot of those videos soon, and it'll be much better 
website moving forward. But for all my students who need to review the curriculum or aren't available to train right now, or for any Karmaga practitioners who simply want to update their uh, perspective or learn a new way of teaching things or whatever, utkmu.com. Again, I do plan on expanding that website extensively. This year has been a rough one. I am sure you all know why. You can also follow us for free on Urban Tactics Kramaga at Instagram and Facebook and on Urban Tactics KM at Twitter. And if you're really feeling generous, you can go to urbantacticsutkmblog.com and hit the support us link and you can simply donate if I, you want. Or if you want something for your money, you can go to utkmu.com or come train with us. Again, we do not discriminate. I think I got that. So a little bit more about Hugo. Again, he's a programmer working for Activision, originally from South Africa. Uh, we actually do talk about apartheid in, in, in that in South Africa and comparative what's going on in North American perspectives. But I just want to go back. So the Buddhist organization he belonged to is called Shambhala, Making Enlightened Society Possible. So j this is off their website, shambhala.org. So just what it says here, Shambhala takes its name from legendary kingdom famous for being enlightened society. Today, the global Shambhala network brings together people of all ages from all walks of life who are interested in exploring our minds, transferring our experiences, and awakening our potential for enlightened society. Shambhala is based on trust in human dignity. We offer a path of meditation, practice, and contemplative arts oriented towards modern life. Our communities around the world cultivate kindness, bravery, genuine dialogue. Our vision is to inspire a compassionate, sustainable, and just human society. Probably why Hugo has the patience to listen to me half the time, even though, as he mentions, we don't always agree. Now, the Vancouver chapter, vancouver.shambala.org, particularly where Hugo found it, so... It just says on their website, Vancouver Shambhala Center is a Buddhist meditation center offering community grounded in a warm approach to the study and practice of meditation. We provide instructions in mindfulness, awareness, meditation for beginners and experienced practitioners, a diverse variety of evening and weekend programs, as well as public group meditation sessions, etc. And then, as he mentions in the podcast, uh, a lot of these Buddhist monks actually need security, particularly those who have Tibet origins due to the ominous presence of certain dictatorial countries who dislike them. So they have a, sac uh, a wing of branch that is about military training for purposes of legitimate security concerns, and it's called uh, Dorje Kasang, so the website dk001.kasang.org, right? So what it says here. The Dorje Kasang Protector Principle. The teachings held by the Shambhala Mandala are presented within the container of wakefulness. The creation and maintenance of the container is protector principle. Within the Mandala, the practice of protector principle is shared by all, but is particularly associated with the Dorje Kasang. The Dorje Kasang is modeled after the ancient tradition of Dharma protectors. Its members are trained in protecting the space in which practitioners are able to hear and practice the teachings. The protection extends to the teacher who is presenting the teachings, the teachings themselves, and the community who practice the teachings. The term Dorje Kasang itself means indestructible, Dorje, command, ka, protector, sang. Indestructible refers to the indestructibility of space, complete openness, that cannot be destroyed or defeated. 
Ka, or command, refers to the teaching of the lineage which presents the truth of things as they are and the possibility of an establishing an enlightened society. The motto of the Dorje Kasang is victory over war. In the context, war is an ongoing struggle with the three poisons identified by the Buddha, passion, aggression, and ignorance. Victory is willingness to face these three poisons directly, wielding the weapons of insight and loving-kindness. As part of their practice, the Dorje Kansang wears uniforms to communicate delight in the disciplines of egolessness and simplicity, service to others by being present and available to help, and commitment to the continuous path of wakefulness and meaning, care, dignity, mindfulness, and awareness. Very interesting. Through that, he wanted to expand his uh, ability to defend himself and his teachers and his principles that he learns and grows, and he found Krav Maga. And it's a very interesting path to Krav Maga, but it's a path nonetheless. Hugo also, uh, and he tells the story of his uh, animal care not-for-profit, People Ensuring Animal Care Exists. Uh, again, peacecanada.org. Learn about vision and mission. Let's go here. I'll just read a little bit about it. Uh, Peace vision is compassionate world for all sentient beings, supported by the ethics of veganism and modeled by sustainable farm sanctuaries. Peace mission is helping farmed animals and farm sanctuaries through resource rescue and education. So uh, Hugo very much embodies the Buddhist principles in his day-to-day life, though not sure how that works at Activision. Um, in this podcast, we talk a whole bunch about uh, just this. You never, you know, the Forrest Gump quote, life is like a box of chocolates that you never know you're going to get. Well, you never know what you're going to get with this podcast. Uh, this episode is exceptionally existential. So we start off, you know, he talks about his Buddhist practices and how it relates to martial arts and learning martial arts. Uh, we talk about Gamergate in the gaming world, as he does work heavily in the gaming world and has for many years. We talk about uh, veganism, the ethics behind that, a lot of ethics and morality of what it means to be human because we both agree that factory farming is, e- is probably evil at this point. Uh, I choose to hunt to get a lot of my meat or get uh, ethically sourced meat when I'm able to. He chooses veganism. So though the problem is the same, we solutions are two different things. So so much discussion about what it means to be human in this podcast and the ethics and morals and quandaries of the human experience. Uh, we talk about, uh, you know, a, lot, a whole wide variety of things that I can't even remember at this point. But this was definitely uh, a very good conversation. So have a listen. Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system. It is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Thucydides. Your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. You're 
listening to The Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. Welcome back. I'm here with Hugo, a UTKM yellow belt. And soon to be orange belt. Working on it. Yeah, we had to postpone due to injury. It happens. Um, let's just start with uh, how you got into martial arts, your journey, and sure. and, and then how you got how you decided to come to Krav Maga and sure. from there. Yeah, I mean, I have a um, like a decent sports background. I always did a whole bunch, either running, rugby, cross country, swimming, whatever. Um, but I didn't have any martial arts background as a kid. Um, but uh, actually, I came to Krav Maga through meditation, which is <laughs> kind of an interesting yeah, path. Definitely. Um, but yeah, the, the group and the, the practice that I did for meditation was, um, there's a, there's actually an aspect of it that there's a kind of a group that they, that they call the Dorje Kassing and that's for the, the teacher that came over. Um, he was, he actually fled Tibet in the, the late fifties, sixties. Um, and as he came to North America, he, he realized is like, you know, this is straight up in like hippie time, um, and trying to get his students to actually do anything didn't yeah. really work well. Um, so he, he formed, it's like quasi security service, um, with one of the aspects is like making things function when they have to run events, that there are people there. Um, but also actually just getting people to not just lounge around and have some discipline. Um, so I actually participated in that. Um, so the, the interesting part of, of how to run that is like, now you're in this meditation group, meditation practice. Um, but you're dealing with security, you're dealing mm. with like physical space, you're dealing with all of those aspects. Um, and he actually borrowed a chunk from a uh, military tradition, like in the group. So we have like a quasi military structure. Mm. Um, and for like meditation or like uh, I'm missing something here. Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 some, yeah. Some context about this whole situation. I'm running a bit faster, yeah, but yeah. this is the, the, the group that did the, uh, the, the actual meditation practice or the, that group is called Chambala, but the, this section that's more like the security aspect mm. um that was called the dojo costume and that's the the part that has this kind of military influence so is it like just uh teaching security stuff or were you doing like security as a job yeah it's, a it's within like when events run uh within the centers like mm. if a visiting teacher comes then oh. we would do things like you do drivers escort um okay. and and practice like VI- vip sort of yeah stuff. exactly because oh, yeah. um, the buddhist monks from tibet sometimes uh Need protection from certain countries and stuff. It, yeah, it, it's that as well as just from like, a, a, you know, we need to get people from A to B and, yeah. you know, orient the space and whatever. Um, so that was kind of an interesting thing because now you're dealing with, you have what you would think of how do those two worlds kind of collide with mm-hmm. like security and, and having like a military influence in it. Um, and the, the for that, the Dorje Kassing, that, that group, um, it actually was trying to figure out how do you deal with a situation of like military influence and but you're still kind of working with that as a uh, as a meditation practice as well. Mm. Um, and the, the one kind of tagline or, or kind of slogan that goes with it um, of the group is victory over war, mm. which is interesting, but it's talking more about the notion of aggression. Mm. Right. So like, how do you. How are you of service in a way that you don't get caught up on the ego and bullshit that can come from like power tripping and, and yeah. that situation? Um, so that's kind of the practice. And uh, but then when for me, the, the thing that contrasted with that is like when we talk about Krav Maga, we talk about it as like as an aggressive style. Mm. Like there is that notion of expedience of actually um, 
you know, uh, dealing with the situation quickly and, and ending it. And for me, the contrast was between like the non-aggression or victory over aggression, like and not getting sucked into that. But that's kind of your your mental state. But dealing with the physical aggression and how those two line up to each other. Mm. Um, so that's actually what drew me in um, to kind of just experiment with that, basically. And that was like what three, three, four years ago. Mm. <laughs> so and how long were you doing the meditation security group thing? Um, I think probably started with that around like 2007, 2008, something yeah, like that. Right, yeah, so, so a good chunk of years. Yeah, because yeah, I remember you, when you first came, you were like, hi, hey, like very <laughs> strict and Krav uh, Maga uh, tends to be more casual in that way. Yeah. As far as the contrast, I don't see anything wrong. It's like inner peace and outer peace. Yeah. You need physical conflict for yeah. outer peace sometimes, but you use the inner peace to try to avoid it. It makes sense. And and that's the that's basically it, right? That you're um, in dealing with a situation. If you're going to lose your mind, you're going to and be totally like raged out. You're not going to be effective in dealing with something anyway. Yeah. Um, so and and that was my that's been my experience. If you're if you're talking about Krav, is like you need to actually like we work with in in the Georgia Casting. It's like we work with Cooper's color codes, right? We mm. work with that. Like how do we relate to yeah. what your physical situation is versus your mental state um so exactly that it's like i think people get the assumption of um violence aggression whatever and you know we, we you see the the roided out type idea and yeah. people have those connotations but not actually youtube doesn't help with all its videos <laughs> for sure for sure um and i think i mean that's been my experience there's more um you start to actually sense the the the, the notion of camaraderie and people actually helping each other um, helping each other out and the sense of community that forms there mm. um, which was you know that that's that's different from what some of the outward perception can be so mm. I mean that that's kind of my approach is I, I'd rather experiment and like go into something and yeah. get that perspective than just kind of look at the outside and well I mean that is view. scientific method go in and see what's going on it's go. heavily bastardized by a lot of people for all sorts of ulterior motives but you know uh, you can still do it on a personal level yeah. so is there like a specific reason you got into the meditation? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, the the kind of setup was like I actually I'm from South Africa originally, and um, South Africa is I, w- I would call it culturally Christian, right? Mm-hmm. So I kind of got brought up in that, um, and then at some point in my own personal journey, that didn't, you know, you start questioning things and d- digging into things, and like this doesn't align with my experience of the world, mm-hmm. um, and so went away from that. Um, and for some time and then actually at where I went to school the program at BCIT of UC um, there was somebody in my kind of uh, you know student study group friendship circle um, that he was a, a member of the um, uh, of that meditation group um, I had done already by that time some kind of comparative religious studies and, and delved into that mm. um, and I had a draw to Buddhism as not a um, less for the religious aspect and more for something that's just pragmatic mm. like you're using whatever the practices are there but not getting too caught up in like the theism and all of that it's, it's just there's a tool there mm. um so with yeah with chatting with ken who was from the center i was like all right they have you know an open house type thing so i'll go and check it out um and it, it functioned for me because it's like the that 
um, like Shambhala as a whole, uh, sorry, Shambhala as a whole is, is less about that religious aspect. It's mm-hmm. specifically intended as like there is benefit to meditation practice, like mindfulness meditation yeah. for just regular secular applications. Yeah. Um, and recognizing like we don't in North America, Western world, we don't have the luxury of just going off for a month or a year or mm-hmm. 10. Not anymore. I it, mean, you yeah. do, but you probably get chased off someone's land or something <laughs> here. <laughs> well, and it's, it's a luxury to be able to do that, yeah, right? Which it's, is ironic, right? Yeah, it's, we need to be able to support our families, work, eat, whatever. Um, so it's, you know, it, it, it's a practice that is taking that into account. Is like, how do you, in your daily life, actually find space for that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it almost has, like, if you look at the, uh, you know, the saying analogy, whatever, it's like, if you want to change the world or fix the world, start by doing the dishes, right? It's yeah. that type of... Like with Jordan Peterson, the bed. Yeah, it, exactly. It's the same type of idea. It's like, you need to look for opportunities where you are and not just shirk those responsibilities because, like, that's that's not actually being of use in the world, mm. so... Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, I used to do the go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had some sort of rewards coming back for all that work, I might have kept <laughs> doing it, but... I realized I was just burning out and yeah. like I used, I'm totally okay with sitting and doing nothing or yeah. n- I don't know if I do fully. We're right next to the uh, street here. Hopefully we're, well, I'm moving soon. It'll be much quieter. Yeah. Um, but uh, sorry, what was I saying? That was very uh, distracting. Go, 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 go on your, you know. The, oh yeah. And just the realization that I need to like yeah. chill a bit because yeah. I burn out really fast. Yeah. You know, it's part of the reason I don't work a full-time job working for other people because for me mentally I can can do it yeah. but I'm very unhappy because I'm just going at my limits yeah constantly which is obviously causes a an issue in an expensive city like Vancouver yeah but I made that choice a long time ago like I'd rather be happy yeah uh, which is hard for people nowadays totally and i mean i think the like i, I have a similar approach like my my family we have that kind of you know the driven and and workaholic type um, yeah. background and my dad he ended up shifting away from or t- breaking from his uh, one of his most recent jobs when he had a heart attack so mm-hmm. it took him getting to that point um so for myself it's like i i have the same approach and you find i mean my experience is the people that are um that are able to keep driving hard like that, right? Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? That can keep going like yeah, that. Yeah, it's it, it was kind of what you were saying that you you're 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 able to push yourself, but you recognize that you shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and what what the effects are? Yeah. Because you can keep going to the point that you just destroy your body. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for for me, I you know when I started my career, you're jazz and you have all sorts of initiative and you mm-hmm. do the same thing. Um, and it took me getting to like a point of initial burnout as well. Yeah. Um, but fortunately, I had a partner that's like, "Well, this is bullshit. Like, don't don't Stop do this to yourself." Yeah. Um, and was able to shift as well. It's like I, so I made a, a very similar decision. Um, that you know I could. What what is the point of trying to drive to whatever this fantasy level of quote unquote success yeah. is? Um, and had the same drive that I'm like, I want, I want to do well. Mm-hmm. I enjoy working. I enjoy like solving problems and being effective and, and doing all of those sorts of things. Um, but I need to also like take care of myself and not just, mm-hmm. not just keep going for the sake of like, well, I need to achieve. It's like, that's, it's, it's, it's busy work for the sake of just keeping going as opposed to having an objective. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you know, me in class, I'm very against the blind positivity yeah. mentality because it drives people to believe things that are false. For yeah. example, like Kevin Hart 
for example, as a very high work, hardworking uh-huh. person, that but you see the energy that guy has. Right. And he, some people are just like that. And right. if yeah. I recall, there is a gene. Who knows? Because I could have been already out of date information. A gene that some people just don't need sleep. Okay. And if you look at people like him or some of these high performing people, they're like, yeah, I sleep four to six hours a week. I'm I'm totally fine. Or a night. Sorry, not. A night. <laughs> Um, That'd be impressive. Yeah. Um, and they're like, I'm fine. I yeah. can't do that. And then yeah. for me, like I know I start doing this thing where I I can have, if I got good sleep and everything is all right, I can do work hard, focus for four or four to six hours on a good day mm-hmm. if nothing distracts me. Right. Right. And, and and let's say you're reading these motivational things and they're like, eh. and then what ends up happening is a lot of people burn out because right. they themselves, for whatever reason, their physiology uh, whatever, it just can't handle it. Right. And they, everyone is told, you if you believe you can do, and then you try to be the next Elon Musk, it's like, no, there's only one of him. This, yeah. And you need to see what your limit. You know, that's what I was saying the other day about testing is you, you need, if you've only ever been an office worker, you need to find out what your physical and mental limits. Because yeah. you need to know where, where that bar is and you need to know how far you can go past it. Because right. when, say, uh, like the Navy SEALs or, or people like that are like, you don't know your limits, it's because because people have never tested themselves. Yeah, It does not mean, and it's misinterpreted this way, you should always be at your limits and always push yourself and <laughs> yeah. keep going. And people end up doing that. And my example for that is David Goggins. Right. He's a psychopath. <laughs> He's very motivational is great but look at all the damage he's done to his body yeah how many times he's been hospitalized how many relationships he's destroyed yeah to achieve those goals and by all means if he's happy doing that great but when you're giving out these motivational you just can do it it's a it's a book get off your ass and do it and some people are happy doing that but if you're destroying every other thing in your life mm-hmm. you just need to understand you're doing that right like well, he, I mean, he if, doesn't seem to care about it but you know if it's a constant conscious decision that's fine yeah. it's um i can't remember who i was speaking with what they were talking about you know folks that do um iron man that they yeah. work up towards that yeah. you know like you're either single or divorced or, or, <laughs> or you start married but you end up divorced yeah. by the time you get to it right yeah. so and if you if that's your objective fine but i'm like that's not what i want you yeah. know so I, I mean i i do that in my work i do that in fitness so i I don't, I don't have a goal to really push myself to some crazy level. It's like I run, you know, 10 K's a few yeah. times a week and I go for runs and I, and I do my little morning exercise routine, but, but that works for me. Right. Yeah. Um, and in work, I'll, there are times when I'll push myself when yeah. I need to get something delivered and Crunch that's fine. Time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you'll, you'll do that for a bit and then I'll just like screw off for a couple of days. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's, that's fine. I can do that. One day. Well, that's, you know, that's a, one of the most positive things I think came out of COVID because yeah. I've been saying this for years is that a lot of jobs don't really need the person in the office all right. the time. And a lot of people have responded with, I'm so much happier working from home. Right. On, the, on a positive note, people are more efficient. They can work at their own pace. People mm-hmm. they're not on someone else's sort of schedule, depending on the job. Mm-hmm. However, the lack of social interaction can be an issue, but objectively, the reason why people are getting more stuff done is probably because they're not distracted with the social interaction. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like, I honestly, I had um, for work for myself, I had, when we started doing, uh, when we, you know, started working from home for this, um, I I still had the the feeling vibe, whatever, like due, due to what I do. Um, I, I have a somewhat of a leadership position within our team and I'm a contact point for other teams mm-hmm. in the company. 
Um, and we would at times have, um, you know, we would call them drive-bys, right? Yeah. Somebody else from a team just comes and asks a question or you pick something up at lunch chat or whatever. And they're things that I actually need to try to get ahead of. Mm-hmm. So I was concerned I would miss out on that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but there's like by shifting to everybody working in a distributed way, you force those kind of lines of communication to be, to be more formalized, right? Mm-hmm. And to actually get it going. Um, so yeah, I in when my view on on that has shifted a bit, where just naturally, like I started, um, I shifted my workday to start earlier, so that now I've got a couple of hours over mm-hmm. lunch, and I go and take the kids to go swim, yeah. or that's when I take my ten k or run or a twenty k bike or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the flexibility I've been afforded now, and I'd be very hard pressed to give that up. Yeah, and then commute time as well. Yeah. Like. I mean, it's like I, I have a bit of a balance because like I when when the weather's decent, I bike to work. Mm. So that's my my exercise. Too far, I, yeah, too I mean, far for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I started with when I was working in Burnaby, and then I was doing about like seventeen k back and forth. So it's mm. like thirty k or whatever a day. Um, and now I'm at about thirty eight k away, but I built up to, to yeah. do that. So yeah. I, I bike in for an hour. So what you're saying is, when you do the green belt test, I probably can't keep up. <laughs> if you don't know, he's very tall, lanky legs, has really really good cardio. Yeah. I was saying one day I'll have students who can outrun me for that. I'm like yeah. I'm I'm quick, but I'm not like yeah fast. We'll fast. see. I was I was I was shooting for that. I was thinking when we got to green belt, I'm like, can I just like sprint this? I should work up before the test and see how like flat out I could do it. Too it was bad. you and and Nate who was on a previous episode just like booked it? I think right. Yeah. Well, I I had um with Petra's when I was you know along for her test, I was kind of cruising it. It was just for for this one now for Karches. I was mm-hmm. like I didn't do the run because I was still you know, nurse, yeah. nursing this. Oh but, yeah, um, who who someone ran with it? Just, just go in. It's like oh, okay, <laughs> I'll have to get in shape for that test so yeah. I can keep up. Or, or send one of the other lanky dudes along with. Well, them. if I can't keep up with a student, which is great, uh, I'll just hit. Here, start your timer. Go yeah. use the mark. Yeah. I'll yell at you <laughs> when to turn around. Yeah, your, um, your integrity is part of the yeah. test. You know that that was one of the things. Other thing with those limits, and I talk about this all the time. Like, no matter how hard I train and push myself, yeah. for example, a two kilometer run, me breaking a two a seven minute two k, yeah. it's not happening. Right, right for me, it's just not going to happen. I've tried. The closest I got was like I think seven fifteen, seven twenty, and that's in right. my peak peak shape. Yeah. And it's like that's the realization like you're never going to be that super athlete right. that you want to be. So you have to compensate, figure out how to how to work with that. And a lot of people right. can't realize, OK, this is actually kind of the best I can do and accept that, you know. Well, and I think be like work out what you want to get done, because mm-hmm. th- this year, for instance, like I, I um, the, the longest bike ride I've done so far has probably been a 60K and mm-hmm. I wanted to do like some century rides or whatnot. So I'm like, cool, this, you know, this year I've. Things are opened up. I'm starting to bike more. I'll, I'll, I'll shoot for that. Um, but then it flipped to, it's like, well, um, hey, do you want to get your belt test done? I'm like, yeah. oh, shit, I should work on my cardio. Yeah. And with the amount of time that I have available to, to, you know, to go for a run or a bike ride, mm. me going for an hour run works my stamina better than going for an hour bike ride. Yeah. Just personally. Yeah. So I'm like, well, let's shift that goal and now we'll just do this. Mm. So there's like. I've never wanted to bulk up too much because I enjoy running and biking, yeah. right? And I shouldn't be too skinny because I want to actually be able to take care of myself. So. Hilarious. I'm not going to name names. Yeah. <laughs> They're having issues uh, with that, realizing they need their cardio up dramatically right. and they usually lift. So it's like, right. make them, they're making that probably went out 
now to do that. So yeah. it's, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's an, you know, what, what your objectives are. So it's, and, and same thing in, in, you know, you can extend that out to your life. It's like, I had, I had to, for a while figure out, well, there's, there's things that I want to do with, with work. There's time I want to spend with the kids. I've got Krav. I want to get general fitness. I have studies that I want to do for work. Mm. Um, and so I ended up having to actually slot out while well, Monday night is like, I, I'm going to do some studying on uh, software development languages. And then like Tuesday, I'll take a break. And then, you know, this night. So I have to be regimented with myself to kind of get to a balance and not just get sucked into one thing and everything else drops yeah. away. Yeah. So. Now, uh, was that uh, going back a bit? Mm. The the only martial arts experience, or what yeah. did you have previous ones? Yeah, before? no, that that's it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the 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 my sports, athletics, whatever exposure has basically been cross country, a lot of rugby, mm. you know, cricket, swimming, but um, still athletic you sure. know, overall. Because yeah. it's interesting, like uh, your program, you're in programming and and whatnot. That being athletic and getting into that, right, or athletic oriented. Because the, the the stereotype is oh, the, you sure. know, like, like the, the, the nerd in the basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's like I felt that sh- that shifted over the last while, like the last few years. Because um, all the nerdy longevity people are pushing <laughs> in the culture <laughs> in the IT world. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's that, but it's I, I think there's people have kind of realized. I I, th- I think there's two things. One is like you know the nerds got cool kind of to a yeah. degree. Um, so there's there's that aspect like socially, um, and the other piece is just people realizing they can dig so far into into those hobbies and, and tech and the intellectual side but it's like i need to step away mm. there's almost a trope now of like the majority of people that go pretty far in tech just want to like get enough money to fuck off and go live in the mountains and you know which uh one of the founders of google just bought some huge property in new zealand because oh, yeah. apparently according to the best places to live in the apocalypse <laughs> that was the best place because it's a self-sustaining island where not many people live and yeah. it's hard to get to yeah so they disappeared there <laughs> so i mean you, you see a lot of people in tech like in the especially in the security field there's a hell of a lot of people that like that are heavy into jiu-jitsu that are hiking mm. biking whatever yeah. um so i think there, there's a better balance there now um yeah than just standing in there with the uh Staring at the computer. Yeah, yeah, like the stuck in the basement. I mean, we do that too, right? But maybe we don't do too too yeah. well with moderation. We go too far into everything. Well, I was listening to uh, Andrew and uh, Andrew Huberman's podcast, Huberman Huberman Lab, and he was talking about that actually. What it in order to compensate, you need vistas. So you need you need you, if you have a computer that's in front of your screen all the time, mm-hmm. it's going to screw up your vision. But oh, if okay. you say like had a window there where you look out the window oh, and look yeah. into the distance periodically, yeah. Um, then it'll actually correct it or prevent that that, right. that loss from happening. And and what it's what I sort of got out of it was we're no matter how technologically advanced and how our society is now, our bodies are still designed to be outside. Yeah. Well, or at least have balance. I mean, yeah. I think there's there's a degree where which if <laughs> just physiologically, if you force your eyes to focus forty centimeters in front of you, yeah. they're going to do that. Yeah. Right. And that's what it's that it's that it's going to shift towards. So it's like I had I had to um, recently did like laser corrective or corrective laser. Yeah, I did that a long time ago. It was a great choice. Yeah. It's well, I mean, <laughs> honestly, I I did it because I got tired of when I'm playing around with my kids that I have to watch my glasses or they they kick me in the face. And uh, if you if you've had somebody smack your glasses into your face, it sucks. 
Um, so th- that was the primary driver. Yeah. And, you know, running and biking or whatever. So. Yeah. Now, with that being said, uh, when, when did you move here from South Africa? Uh, 97. 97. Um, yeah. So we had actually, um, I was born in 85. And so I was about 12 when we moved. Mm. We actually had, um, funny enough, in my sister's kind of close friendship circle, there was like a group of four friends. Um, one of them moved to New Zealand and two of them moved to Canada mm. before we had, we had gone. Um, and my parents honestly had their, their view was if it was just them, they'd be fine. Mm. You know, they were well established. A lot of people like could, that, yeah. Yeah. And like at the time, the, the question for them was if we stay here, um, are our kids going to have the opportunity to leave and go somewhere else if they want? Mm. Um, are they going to have like the international recognition for the schooling system and, and be mm. able to emigrate and whatnot? Um, so that was kind of their, their, uh, you know, the driving factors with that. Um, yeah, so we came in 97 when I was 12. So I came here in middle school. My sister's a couple of, couple of years older than me um, through high school. And, and Is that, uh, I guess, right after apartheid fell? Yeah, the election yeah. was 94. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, My mom yeah, actually was a, a volunteer, like, a, you know, helped out um, at one of the election, like the polling stations and such. Um, and then 95 was when the World Cup came. So mm. that's kind of when, you know, the, the embargo on sports um, dropped. So that was that was a huge moment. Yeah. We, we actually had all of our family came to um, to our house to watch the World Cup final in '95, mm-hmm. South Africa versus uh, New Zealand. But we were my dad had for years and years it had been like a, you know a dream of his to actually um, come to North America mm-hmm. and to travel around. So we had um, we had our flights booked the day of the final. Everybody were there. We had to, uh, the game ended up going to like two or three overtimes. Mm, yeah. And we had to go and shower and get ready for the flight. And like, as soon as the game was over, we won. Yeah. Like, yeah, celebrate. Okay, get out. We're leaving. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And that, because that, like, the timing of that, like, shortly after that, moving then to Canada as mm-hmm. a young kid must have mm-hmm. been like crazy. Honestly, I think the the thing that I, I realized afterwards, I didn't. I was young enough that mm-hmm. I didn't pick up on all of the implications. Yeah. Um, and it took me time through high school and such to really start to kind of piece that all together. Yeah. Um, you know, the the only things that I really remember that were relevant, stood out, whatever, was um, there was a concern about like how things were affecting the education system yeah. at that time. Because the, the challenge is you're, you're taking a country that it, like minority rule for so long and you're trying to get things corrected. That's going to be bumpy. Right. right. Um, and it's not ended up so great now. Yeah. What I can tell. I, I mean, it's you you're you're going to have at least, a, I think, a generation or two to try and settle things out. Um, but there's going to be a risk of, you know, how much how much do you have at times that are so dynamic and there's that disruption um, is there going to be siren wise? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's room for corruption to take place. Mm. There's room for all of all of that, and it's um, you know, it, I I don't think there's an easy way out of that. I think it's like the ripped a bandaid type thing. Yeah. You have to go through it and figure out where you're going to line up on the other side. Yeah. Well, that's you know they they talk about generational uh, trauma these mm-hmm. days, but I'm like that if that concept applies to everything, is that for like education purposes mm-hmm. to get a generation up to where we would all like to be yes it's going to take like three generations yeah. of, of consistent education and development it, it, and, and whatever exactly that i mean that that was something that that for myself when you know people ask me that question i'm like you you're literally looking at 
um, a, a, a massive population that has been wronged for a long period of time, but denied access to yeah. education. Um, so I, I think that um, you need to, you, it's going to take time to sort out how things shake out. And, you know, like I said, I, I don't think it's going to be clear because you, you're going to need to right wrongs that have occurred, but then you have examples of how things went horribly sideways in Zimbabwe as well. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's, there's paths that you could tread that sideways are sideways everywhere. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's interesting. Like for me, I, obviously not growing up in that I grew up here mm-hmm. is pretty pretty sick I like I grew up after like Vancouver notoriously was actually very violent in like the 70s in, mm. in the eastern part of Vancouver I grew mm-hmm. up in Richmond but when I was born it was basically mostly farmland right yeah. and now it's a giant block of cement um so I I grew up with diversity my whole life didn't think right. much of it right. like I never cared anything like that yeah and like from when people make accusations of like you know apartheid about like what's going on in america now i'm talking about today not not uh, a long time ago or yeah. like in israel what do you what do you think like kind of like that is because you grew up sort of in it you mean uh, like like comparing some of the, the like do you think it's a fair of... comparison when they do oh, that, based uh, on someone who who kind of lived i see um well i mean the, i think that um the what you're probably dealing with in the States um, compared to South Africa is um, in, in the South African example, you had um, the minority rule tossed out and um, there's chunks of say like affirmative action and, and other pieces um, that shifted that power dynamic. Yeah. Um, I don't think you've, you've not had the same in the States. Like you've had chunks of what the um, segregation was torn down, yeah. but then you still had and and I'm not properly familiar with American politics yeah. and history, but you still had things like Jim Crow, you still yeah. had things like redlining, you still had those um, practices that um, that still kept people down in not straight like straightforward ways, mm. um, but that hampered actual um, actual equality, and you had a, a massive leg up um, for for people that were not subject to that. Mm. Um, so I I don't think the I think part of the the history might be somewhat equivalent um, that you had suppression, but again, I think in in the states, like you had um, a majority popula- population that had like enslavement and oppression of of a group, and then that was like, okay, well, I guess we have to get rid of that. Um, but the, then you still had power concentration within that group. Mm. Um, whereas in South in South Africa, like that flipped. You had minority rule that was chucked out, um, and now the power balance shifts, mm. right? Um, and so I, I don't think that they map one to one. Because it's like, hypothetically, obviously yeah. it's not working the way. <laughs> hypothetically, if a minority group is oppressed, yeah. it should be easier to integrate and build up a society. Hypothetically, obviously, that is not kind of how it is. Uh-huh. Then say a largely uneducated, oh, oppressive ma- uh, majority that has to make that shift. Right. right? But, uh, yeah, I, I think that the... Um, the challenge, though, is that for the the minority group, like you, you now are. It, 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 let's say you have segregation drop out, you have integration, but you're you're integrating in some, into somebody else's system, into mm. somebody else's house. You yeah. Know? Um, so there's, I think there's more room for them to set, still set the rules and not in not, South Africa. Versus no, I mean oh. I'm, I'm talking about in the states, oh, I right? See. Um, because you're, if you're the minority group that now is like, well, we're not going to fully discriminate against you with, with, um, or, or there's some measure of emancipation. 
but you're still stepping into somebody else, a space that somebody else controls. Mm. Um, I, I, there's not, I think, like a, a, in the South African example, like an actual handover of yeah, power. I see. Okay, yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I just I hate it when people throw words around without fully understanding. Yeah, I mean, like, apartheid just means separation, yeah. right? Um, like, so, th- but I, I think that perhaps you know um delineating those is uh, segregation and in, in the in the states versus apartheid like it helps conceptualize them as two different things yeah um because i think they have some different characteristics it's like well it's like when people call israel an apartheid state i'm like yeah. i roll my eyes at that yeah there's physical walls but people forget like when they did those the crime mm-hmm. and murder and all that went down like dramatically yeah, I mean, right. and that's an area that I, I'm just, I'm woefully, I, I catch a little bits and pieces. Yeah, but most people are, are not very informed. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I catch bits from yourself and yeah. I try and, and, and you know, um, catch bits from other sources. Um, but it's it's something that, like, I, I don't want to step into a space where I'm like, I'm going to have an opinion yeah. on this. I'm like, Which I, is I really probably the best all. place because, I mean, I... I I know people that are like pro BDS, which is the, uh, the yeah, anti, but I'm yeah. like, do you do you understand that that actually hurts the Palestinian more? Mm. Because what companies will do is if they have, uh, like Soda Stream, yeah, Soda Stream had like a thousand worker factory in the West Bank, oh, I see right, and then people who support that because apartheid state as they claim, mm-hmm. and then they cave to public pressure. All they do is move the factory into <laughs> the other part of Israel. <laughs> they do this all the time, like Ben yeah. and Jerry, the same shit. Yeah. So now you've just screwed the Palestinian people who were making better wages doing that, working for that Western company than they right. ever would. Right. Uh, now I believe in that case. Uh, Israel gave everyone who was working there, uh, you know, passports or whatever, so, so they could go oh, and go, go and work in okay. the in the new place. Yeah. But that's not always the case because it really depends, and it's a hassle yeah. for everyone. And it's a legitimate security, legitimate security as to why they need the checkpoints. And people who say they don't, it's like, hey, just you know, if you go like ten years without people constantly trying to stab someone, I guarantee you they ease off. They always ease off, and then yeah. when they ease off for a long period of time. And then violence comes back. Well, they go right back. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think in in any, it would be um, in my mind if you're if you're going back to the South Africa example, yeah. it's like if you if you, um, simply if you're just going to something blind and you try and apply a policy yeah. without realizing there are human dynamics involved yeah. here. Um, I mean, that's that's like South Africa had the benefit of Nelson Mandela saying, "It's like, how about y'all not kill each other?" Yeah. It's like I went through some serious shit, and I'm here to say that's not the way. Yeah. Um, but you need a stabilizing force like that, for instance. Um, but I mean, I, I think that the unintended consequences one is huge. Like we had, uh, I mentioned briefly to you, it's like again, I work for um, uh, online gaming for part of Activision, and there's a huge issue um, with and, and a case that came out in, in the states about. Um, you know, equitable pay, discrimination, mm. and, and all of that. Um, and yeah, people in in the community, like in the gaming community, is like, oh, we should boycott Blizzard. And then you have, you know, people that that are staff that are directly affected by that. So he's like, no, please. It's like we need to stay employed, and we're trying to make it better, yeah. right? So sometimes those snap like carte blanche actions, like there's unintended consequences. People need the to be mindful emotional of. response. Now, I don't yeah. know too too much about it. I was. I saw something about like the original like Gamergate with the mm-hmm. with the women gamers and mm-hmm. the, what, what was what was the case? Yeah, yeah, it's I can't remember what the you know Department of Fair and Equitable Housing or Employment or something like that in California brought a case against Activision Blizzard because they're they're you know they, 
Blizzard has space in California mm-hmm. and Activision. The whole, how the company hangs together is really confusing. So we'll, we'll try to be it's most there. big companies. <laughs> totally. It's like, well, we're incorporated in Delaware, but there's a stock ticker and then there's these different companies. Um, but anyway, so the um, the main parts of it were, um, you know, unequal pay for same mm-hmm. work. Um, uh, issues with advancement and promotion where you had, you know, people coming in with less experience getting promoted faster if they're men versus women. Um, and like some absolutely harrowing stories of abuse and mm-hmm. like um, and people in positions of power being protected mm-hmm. um, rather than dealt with. Shocker. Right? Yeah. That's in every single organization. Yeah. Uh, like that's something I think in anything needs to stop. Like if you yeah. screwed up, you broke the policy. End of story, yeah. regardless of the level. But nepotism seems to be ingrained in human behavior <laughs> totally and i mean it's the, it's the any situation where somebody's financially incentivized like well this person's a rock star it's like we don't want to you know ruffle any feathers and yeah. so it's like we'll just make this be quiet yeah. and we'll move them to that studio over there um so it's there's there's a lot of um you know there's actually uh there was a walkout there's people that have a, a workers alliance there's mm. not a union mm. because there's a specific separate you know legal status or and moves that have to be done there but yeah um so there's i think there's activity and people are trying to actually put some energy behind let's hold things accountable and say can you at least please like be um you know have some pay transparency have mm-hmm. you know some yeah. of these measures in place but. yeah because for me it's like depending on what you look at any industry it's like for me it's like if you're being paid completely different for the same job that's mm-hmm. a problem yeah but if there are other complicating factors, I'm like, you oh, need to sure. be honest about sure. why there's like, you know, a common one is, it's not gaming. It's like for mm-hmm. that, it's uh, men often do more dangerous job, which pay oh, more. Sure. And it's like, if the, with the pay disparity stuff, I always want to make sure, are they actually being yeah. paid differently or is there some other yeah. manipulation of statistics going sure. on here? You sure. Know? Yeah, and I don't know where the like which stats they brought out. The I mean, the examples that that I recall, there was a specific um, case of you know there was a, a worker that she was in um, one of the mocap studios mm-hmm. um, and had worked her ass off over like ten years, was effectively running the place, and um, you had somebody that was brought in as um, you know as a superior, brand new into the into that role. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, no, it's fine. You, you all will work together, yada, yada. And then she ended up getting axed mm. because there was duplication between their roles. It's like, oh. you brought a new guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's never a good idea to do that. But people do that. Uh, yeah. That Why would you, someone who ne- doesn't know what the ins and outs of the company have yeah. preference over it? Unless they're like someone established who has a sure. shown that they know how to lead and develop. Yeah. That's usually not a good, yeah. smart move. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, it, you know, I think that there's, um, gaming is unfortunately like it is one of, you know, if you go back to the, to the, the example you gave of like the not like the, the reclusive nerd type thing, mm-hmm. it's like you, that, that's kind of where the origins are. And then you had, um, people that, at least from my perspective, I think you had the somewhat ostracized nerd for however long. Um, and that's kind of what you grew out of. Um, but now you get into a situation where you find something you're super passionate about and you end up becoming the rock star. Mm-hmm. So there's all of like, you don't actually have necessarily that, like that social transition is kind of messed up. Yeah. So you had people come from that background and now have fame, fortune, you know, whatever yeah. thrown at them. It's like there's a whole bunch of like abusive of power and such yeah. that comes into that situation. They've made several, uh, what's that, several like 
TV shows based off of like a startup. Mm. Oh know, yeah, yeah. Like, startup culture is fucked up. Yeah, right? it's, <laughs> it's it's that just amplified and and juiced with like a whole bunch more nerd culture. Yeah, because yeah, it changed everything. Because now tech like startups, they could just be like a billionaire. Oh, for in sure. In like ten years, instead of the entire lifetime to become a billionaire. Yeah, or I mean, you have like some of the figures of this stuff. I mean, um, I I feel I'm fairly well paid, but you have you know kids coming out of with comp sci degrees in Silicon Valley that off the bat your internship is a hundred k with housing and yeah. equity. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's staggering. Like, well, you know, then the, in San Francisco, because of Google, oh yeah, they yeah. basically blew out the housing market there totally, and yeah. just screwed everyone else. Yeah. It's like you guys are nuts. Yeah, <laughs> you have literally like I, I, there was an example I saw of this again, Twitter things and, and tech, but um, some folks asking. I think it actually ended up being in education. They were trying to say it's like you know if you are in graduate studies, like what are you actually making and where where do you actually get out yeah. of school. And it got out of context, and there's a, a dude that was like a senior security researcher at, at Netflix. He was like, oh, yeah, my comp is like, you know, 560K yeah. with, with this and that. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, for doing that. Like, You know, because that's what it's like. Someone like me, for me to go out and get a job worth 100K a year is very, unless I want to do sales, which I'm not doing. It's like, <laughs> how, how do you get these jobs? And tech has just blown out like yeah. the pay scale yeah. compared to every other oh, field totally. that simply cannot. Do it just that. it doesn't make sense. I mean, we like, that's that's a thing for for me in looking at like you, I I help people play games, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like I got paid a shitload of money to yeah. do that. I mean, Which I enjoy cool. my job. I'm, <laughs> I'm good at my job. Yeah. Um, I mean, but it's there's there's different levels of societal contribution here. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like I when I started in oh five oh six, I think my first job I made like thirty six thousand a year mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Um, and I know people hiring now that like out of school, the base level expectation for a starting job is like 60, 70, 80. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's like fresh out of school and knowing yeah. sweet effort. And they blow all their money on nonsense. And oh, sure. Money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish they taught uh, financial literacy oh, in schools. Man. It would be very helpful. Uh, honestly, I am appreciative of starting with little and being forced to learn yeah. that discipline around it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, between my wife and myself it's like i had i was maybe making 36 40 and she was making say like 20 30 or something mm-hmm. and we're like okay we're gonna have a Which kid back now. in the day was it was good money more acceptable yeah. now it's <laughs> yeah. a bit of a stretch but yeah you can do it yeah Pretty but but you know we squeezed to be able to like afford buying a place mm-hmm. in like 07 when we got married yeah. and then when it came to when we were, we were gonna have a, have kids we're like okay we can make it work on my salary at that point for Tishereen to stay home. And so you have to really squeeze and and learn to be disciplined with that stuff. Yeah. Well, it's this way we're, we were in a one bedroom apartment now, which I'm totally cool with, but uh, someone was like, if we're going to have kids, we need a bigger place. Honestly, we, we do now because we had a a two bedroom place or one bedroom plus 10 and Mm. the kids slept in the same room for ages. And we were like, well, at some point we need yeah. to be able to have more space, and so we moved out to, to our townhouse in Pit Meadows. That's a three bedroom place. Whole bunch of times, the kids just want to sleep in each other's rooms. Anyway. Yeah, well, they're conditioned for it. Now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, and it, but I think the thing is now it's it's a novelty, mm-hmm. right? But the benefit is when they get in each other's face and it ain't working, we're like, go to your room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens because we we're yeah. moving to a townhouse. We wanted a house with a yard because we can't stand dealing with other people at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, 
but the market right now is absolutely out of its mind. So unless I think to get a decent house in any place that isn't garbage, it's like yeah. 1.5 million plus in Metro yeah. Vancouver right now. So even when we were looking, this was 18 or something. You could like you know a, 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 some 1960s, 70s house in Pitt Meadows would still be like eight nine hundred k. Yeah. Now the and our place was I don't know like seven fifteen or something at that point for a townhouse. Now the um, the duplexes in our place are just touching a million dollars. Yeah, it's crazy. It's wild. Yeah, we figure if we get a townhouse now, by the time we sell, it'll be over a million because the yeah. new the new ones in a similar area are going for almost a million or slightly over. It's yeah. just for a townhouse, which is good news. Is I'll be able to have a garage gym finally. There's yeah, there's a bunch of people yeah. in our on our complex that did that. For yeah, sure. yeah. So I'm like yeah. <laughs> we you can see here we just crammed it into a little room and then yeah. it's not the most ideal situation. So. Yeah, it works. It is what it is. So cause we're sort of going back like to Karamaga. Mm -hmm. What has been your, I mean, obviously uh, I'm your only experience, but yeah. uh, what has been the experience for you been like? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I don't have things to compare it to. Um, so there's that aspect of it. But I think the, the thing that, um, that I appreciate about like your approach and, and how you lead people through it. Um, you, you don't just um, deal with it as like some fitness thing. Mm. There's one. Um, that's not Kramaga when they do that. Exactly. It's business bullshit. Um, but practicality, um, as well as like you have a, a decent structure around that, but you're also trying to, um, like when I was going through UTKM, you now in terms of prepping for, um, for coming up to the belt test. Still need to fix the glitch stuff yeah. though. <laughs> Just <laughs> a little bit to the time. Swamped it with, you know, you know how it is. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. But the, the piece that I appreciate is the context behind things. Like you, you actually put effort into why are we doing X? Why are mm -hmm. we doing Y? Um, you know, what's the, the feasibility of this from a physical perspective, but as well as contextual is like, why would you, um, get up this way versus that? What's the surroundings around mm. you? Um, so uh, that, that's, uh, that I found to be like the, uh, something that I think is differentiating that people may, if they're just doing like rote technical concepts, mm. you're not going to get, which hilariously I was told early on, don't teach like that. That's bad. That's not getting into the background for why the why and the how it's because a lot of instructors are not capable of doing it in the Kramaga world. They're not capable of the explaining because they weren't taught. They were oh, just taught okay. the techniques and I doing a podcast with, uh, I just put it out today uh, with, uh, Sara Malkovich, Markovich, yeah. in Australia. And the more I talk to people in the Kramagor world, the more people who decide to leave the big organizations are mm -hmm. choosing to teach like that. A more holistic... Going around the why? Yeah, yeah, the why and the how and the holistic, the more yeah. holistic approach to teaching Kramaga. It's yeah. not... As much as Kramaga took out that sort of spiritual, cultural aspect out mm -hmm. of it because mm -hmm. they wanted to go practice, cause, uh, practical first, which is an Israeli thing. We don't have time for that shit. Right. When you're running a civilian school, inevitably, you kind of end up just circling back to that if you give a shit about your students. Right. Explaining stuff and developing it as you develop as an instructor. And I know a lot of people still don't like the way I teach. Well, I mean, it could be a me thing, but <laughs> it's also um, a lot of people just don't want to hear talking. They just want to do. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's self-defense, which implies so much more than just punching someone in the throat. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think you, you have to be mindful of the um, what are the objectives that we're trying to accomplish? Like if, you, if you're dealing with like, you know, wartime or lead up like roving thugs, um, yeah. then there's a there's a level of pragmatism and effectiveness that you need to get to execution, but you also need to um, recognize that 
it's not always going to fly, but we're going for like 80% yeah. here, right? It's like, get it, get it done. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're not in that, you know, that type of time constraint to be able to train people up. Yeah. Um, so I think you can, uh, you can recognize that people are, are, are going to be, uh, you're working with individuals, not people that are necessarily going to be functioning as a unit. Yeah. So there's that. And they're also, you have more time to be able to let them work out the background because there's not an imminent threat, you know, that they're dealing with on the streets right yeah. now necessarily. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I don't know if I would have been so emphasis, like emphatic on the, like the mental health aspect if mm-hmm. i didn't grow up in somewhere like vancouver if i'd grown up in somewhere like mexico city where it's mm. like th- th- violent threats all the time compared mm-hmm. to here yeah i'd focus more on that but for a lot of people like the mental color code yeah. their threat is anxiety and it's not real right. and they perceive vancouver to be this psycho dangerous place yeah and it's like you no. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, but but like you said, that's also dealing with the threats that are pre- uh, that are prevalent in your environment. So if the if the majority of the the people that are who are going to be your students are going to be looking at that, you know, possibly that anxiety or the mental health issue, then you need to also tailor what you're teaching self defense as being towards mm-hmm. that. They yeah. need to be able to identify and deal with those threats. So there's the self awareness aspect. Yeah. is going to be of more service. Right? Yeah, like I think if I lived somewhere where uh, guns are more prevalent or gun violence is more prevalent, mm-hmm. I'd be running gun seminars, live fire gun a lot more. But here, right. it's not really worth it at this point. Right. I We used to do it a little bit, but it was just very difficult organizationally and getting the numbers and the people, like cost, it costs a lot of money to do yeah. that course. Yeah. It's like for four to six hours like a whole group like 250 300 and people don't want to pay and it's because ammo is very expensive right yeah, so yeah. there is that um but it is a changing the, i don't think i would change my curriculum just because mm-hmm. i moved mm-hmm. i would just add on or focus on stuff differently right. for the the situational environments yeah uh as needed because i think like the fundamentals don't change regardless of where you are. Right. But I mean, using like the, the weapons example or the, yeah. you know, the firearms example, it's like y- you have the luxury in the environment where we are now mm-hmm. that you don't need to ramp that up as yeah. quickly necessarily. Yeah. So you can take the time to, well, let's build fundamentals so that by the time we get to that, we're yeah. more established. Right? Yeah. Which I'm happy like in this city allowed me to do that rather than focusing on other stuff. Right. I just hope they don't ban guns so that I can't <laughs> do that here. Um, there's an election coming up. Actually, when I post, the, yeah, the, there's an election still coming up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when oh, I post this, yeah. I had to think about because I've like, you I'm finally getting ahead longer. of all the, to get a whole bunch of podcasts recorded because yeah, yeah. we're moving and I'm like, shit, I don't have oh, time. Now. Yeah. Like I made the commitment. I'm going to do one a week uh-huh. as much as I can, even if it's just me talking for whatever. <laughs> and those ones I don't like to do as much because I'm lazy and they require research for me to actually pull right. stuff up. And as look, opposed to being able to Yeah, it's just free, free, free conversation. So I have a backlist, a whole bunch of people. Yeah. Actually, uh, I posted a video of, let's say, a certain prime minister getting booed and chased out of Surrey. Oh, I'll show it yeah, to you later. About that. that did not go well for him. And uh, this <laughs> a friend of mine from uh, university was like, let's do a podcast. I was like, oh, I didn't know you had one. He's like, um, I'm thinking about starting one. And so I'm like, you come on mine. Let's do it. And yeah. let's talk. We'll talk because we don't agree on how governments should operate and approach. So it's not definitely not a martial arts one, but we're going to do that. <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, if it goes well, maybe I'll do another one with him where it's the opposite perspective. Thing. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Like I mean? point, counter, point, counter. We'll see. Yeah. We'll yeah. see. Because, you know. Uh, COVID has got me doing one thing is I'm putting myself out there more consistently. I was being kind of lazy right. with the online stuff because w- Vancouver being 
small, uh-huh. my school is going to be small because right. Krav Maga is not a very popular martial art. Right. A lot of left-wing people are going to walk in, be polite, and walk out with half the shit I say, which sure. is fine. Self-selecting means we have a more community environment. And we're not there. Have ah, you been around when there's been students who clearly dislike what I'm saying and they're like yeah. trying not to? <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I, I know you don't like what I'm saying, but what you were saying is factually incorrect. Here's why. <laughs> and man, do they love that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like you and I don't always agree on everything no, either. And but it's like I think that. There's enough respect and, and, you know, being able to actually like engage that, that, as I said, I, I try to not just stick to one side of it. Yeah. Um, I'm just aggressive about my style. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, it's part of your style, it, both your personality as well as like, I mean, that's your teaching style as well. Yeah. There's pressure, there's distraction, there's all of those things, yeah. right? So. Also, I'm like nonstop. <laughs> just shut up, John. Let us punch each other. Yeah, well, you know, it is what it is. Um the other thing that, because I, I don't know much about it, but it's interesting, is that the shirt you're wearing your charity? Is, is, uh, this, uh, or well, this is somebody that we work oh, with. Okay. They're, they're a, not, not a sister organization, but they're folks that we work with a lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, sorry, this this shirt is uh, the, the Open Sanctuary Project. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we work with farm animal sanctuaries. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, my wife and myself, we started uh, the charity uh, late, well, early 2019. So we're going on about two and a half mm-hmm. years. Great um, time to start a charity. Yeah, well, <laughs> it worked out. It was, it was, 2020 was, we, we had 2019 to actually like kind of get up and running. Yeah. Um, and then 2020, we're like, well, okay, what do we do now? Um, but we at least had some processes in place and, and all yeah. of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it came about like, um, you know, my wife and I, and, and I were, we're both vegan, um, have been for, for a long time. Um, and that's the point of this discontent here, this disagreement. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, we can get into that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so she, she was involved in some folks like in that community and how it kind of came about is there was literally, I think it was like fall 2018 or some, something. She was in with a, a group of folks and somebody was kind of frantically trying to do something and she was like, what, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was literally like a, a large Berkshire pig. So, you know, you think like five, six, seven hundred pounds mm-hmm. black pig. Um, and, and I think this was like a fell off the back of a truck type situation. And then, you know, wasn't claimed by anybody trying to find her a home where, where she's going to go. Um, and it was, it was utter chaos. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, my wife, Serene is like, she's very much an organizer. She's like a process person when there's chaos. Yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) she'll, she'll work out systems and how to do things. Um, so she kind of helped wrangle that because the the challenge was like, there there are farm animal sanctuaries around BC, Alberta, wherever. Mm Um, but, uh, the, the folks that were trying to organize this, now you've got like five, six, seven people that mm. are just coming off and everybody's phoning all the same people trying to see DF space, how yeah. we're going to get it organized. It's just the logistics are messed up. Um, and then we had a, uh, so Serene went through that, um, got it sorted. Um, and, uh, then we had another situation in over Christmas, 2018, um, where there was a worker at a dairy um, that they had, um, they had primarily jerseys, mm. um, and jerseys are a bit of a smaller breed. Like a different type of pig. Uh, sorry, the cow. Yeah, yeah, cow. Oh, yeah. Because um, you just say jerseys, I'm oh, like, mm, I know it's something to do with animals. Yeah, yeah. It's like your common dairy cows are, are jerseys and Holsteins. Holsteins oh. are the, the white and black spat, spotted, oh, yeah, yeah. and then jerseys are the, the brown cows. Oh, yeah. So. It's, uh, what's that? Archer has a whole episode where one of the characters is like, holy crap, you are on a dairy farm? Me too. What but, kind of cow? Oh, it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so they have jerseys. They're smaller. Um, so when again, you in order to get milk, you have to get 
cow pregnant, have mm. a baby, um, in order to produce Shocking milk. how that works. I know. People are like, I thought cows just make milk. I'm like, yeah. that's not, they're mammals. Figure it out. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but then the male cows obviously aren't helpful mm. for milk. Um, so they're, if they're big enough, they're raised for veal. So they're raised in like six months. Um, if they're jerseys, they're generally too small. Mm. So they're literally waste product, right? Mm. Um, so anyway, this particular, uh, this worker, um, he was like, if I can find homes for them, can I take them and, and get them to home? Mm-hmm. So there was like nine or 10, uh, male Jersey calves. Um, and so there was a whole community effort to try and figure this out. Uh, we ended up borrowing, uh, Serene's parents minivan and driving over the Coke and a snowstorm on boxing day <laughs> to get this calf, um, to a sanctuary. And as we were doing this, we were like, this, this doesn't make any sense. Um, so the charity was or, uh, was founded um, to say this whole like scramble chaos thing doesn't make sense. Um, what we actually need is somebody that has truck trailer, mm. um, has relationships with the sanctuary so they don't get flooded. And that these the people that run those, because they're fucking busy, as well, like that's you know what they're doing all day, day in and day out. They can't be trekking around the province. Um, to help facilitate and kind of be a middleman, um, so that's that's kind of what we started mm-hmm. um, doing. Yeah. So then the vegan thing, where did yeah. that come about? Sure, yeah. Um, so Serene and I come from kind of like different different sides of it. Um, I think it originally was um, I, I took some philosophy humanities in, mm-hmm. uh, in university, um, and my thing originally came from looking at like how our food systems work as a whole, mm-hmm. like from a production standpoint, um, what we're doing in order to meet some of that food system demand is really fucked up mm. uh, from a financial and environmental That standpoint. point I agree with 100%. Totally, yeah. yeah. So from I, I came originally from the environmental yeah. aspect, right? Um, Serene was much more from like an emotional reactive um, mm. standpoint. Um, so that's where we started. Um, and my, my kind of thinking with it was like, I, you know, I, I think that we need to shift things to, to a more balanced system as a whole and mm. something that's lighter weight. Um, and for myself, I can go along with, um, with like going farther to, to that side mm-hmm. rather than I think overall we need more balance, but I'm cool going kind of over to the edge to help, help shift mm-hmm. the balance. So that, that was where it started, um, for myself. Um, and I mean, as you, you know, as you progress along the, the I, I kind of shifted more to like a value theory kind of thing. Um, because ultimately for, if if you if you think of like how many animals I would consume or would be like killed for me to like you know survive on a regular diet for mm. the duration of my life, that, that's a decent chunk. Um, so that's a high count. And ultimately, since it's possible for me to survive and actually like I'm physically healthy and fine um, to do that myself, the only benefit I'm actually getting out of like a, a more common diet would be a taste or preference thing. Mm. So if I put those side by side and you look at, you know, it's something on the order of um, I'd be like, you know, 10, 20 animals per year for the duration of my lifetime in order for me to have a preference. Mm. Like I can't justify that. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where, where I, where, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, and I you know, some people can go vegan and do just fine. Uh-huh. A, a lot cannot. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm an example. If I don't have some sort of red meat, I think it's just genetics. Things yeah. go sideways real fast. Yeah. Right. So like the uh, I think on a, what I just don't understand about that whole movement is like most people can agree that mm-hmm. the factory farming is a problem mm-hmm. and it's wasteful. Mm-hmm. Um, but the manipulation of the data to like 
just say we need to get rid of the meat industry completely mm-hmm. it's like no because people have shown um the private people have shown you can do uh sustainable farming in mm-hmm. a very successful way that reduces the greenhouse uh print to like almost even a greenhouse sink mm-hmm. and uh, oh with like the grassland thing where they they rotate the, the yep. cows and all that and so like does everyone need to eat as much meat as they do in America? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But the aspect of genetic variance that people just don't want to touch mm-hmm. from a nutritional standpoint with mm-hmm. a 30 million foot pole because it always like, well, you're being racist. It's like, well, no, uh, no, this is this is how genetic works. And like, sure, for I mean, example, you have different lactose intolerance yeah. between different people. And for example, like if an Indian Hindu has been vegan for 10 generations, mm-hmm. I'm going to be like, yeah, they're probably fine on vegan. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Have they ever had a cat dog? <laughs> the, but for me... We like, call that the but bacon, though, defense. Yeah, right? but bacon. <laughs> because, like, I know a lot of people who went vegan, and possibly they just don't know what to do. Oh, a lot of people And they that. completely sure. screw up, and sure. they just have to go off. But then, sure. you know, there are people who they cannot eat plants because they have complete autoimmune issues. It seems like for a lot of people autoimmune... Mm-hmm that going away from plants might actually be more beneficial. Oh. Yeah, I mean, uh, the that aspect with like the personal fit type thing is mm-hmm. not something that I'm super acquainted with because yeah. it hasn't been a factor. For yeah, me, for right? you it just worked. Yeah, so it's like it, it, it really comes down to like if you the if you can if you can um, if you can handle the uh, the environmental aspect of it like that, you know, addresses that part of it, mm-hmm. but I'm still held out on like since I'm I, I can't justify it from like a, a standpoint of preference versus life, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's since it's functional. And I, I, I mean, I actually think like personally for me, my health is, is better. And mm. I have, you know, I, I ran my first half marathon, mm. you know, last or a couple of years ago or whatnot. Um, so I'm doing better or I'm doing well. Mm. Um, so I, it doesn't, I, I can't justify the cost. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I'm like at. one thing that we do is we go hunting, right? Mm-hmm. And often in the, in the vegan community, like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you do understand it's probably more ethical if I shoot it and eat it than letting it die of pain because a mountain lion half tore its face off. And uh, just from sure. like a from that sort of perspective, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, mm-hmm. so you're totally fine with it getting tortured by a bear or a mountain lion, yeah, I mean, but me a, dropping it like that and they're, they're dead. Sure. You know, I mean, at that point, like I think people talking about like a, an agency thing and what, what I'm putting into that situation, that's like a let nature run its course mm-hmm. argument, I think. Um, nature is not what people oh, think. Oh, I mean, is. nature's <laughs> fucked up. Like, na- it's the, I don't know, it's, it's like the nature is metal kind of thing. Where, like, oh, it's, it's a good, good Instagram account that way. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Some um, messed up stuff. So, I mean, there's um, the 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 example that just popped to mind for me was like, and and I've got like again some Buddhist background, right? Was there was um, somebody that because Buddhism often has a vegetarian mm-hmm. slant to it, um, but generally not in the lay population, right? More monastic, but um, there was a, a some a story now of of it was like the village butcher that talked to the Buddha, and he's like, well, what am I going to do? It's like I have to kill these animals because I'm supplying you know supplying meat to the town. Mm. Um, and that because there the aspect was more about the notion of taking life and what the 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 psychological impact is for yourself in taking life in order to to um, you know do what whatever you need to do. Um, and the 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 answer in that story was like, well, at least commit to. You know, only doing it between this hour, this time, and this time. So it's mm-hmm. like a restricted part of your life. Um, so there was a recognition of that 
pragmatic aspects mm-hmm. of like this is a functional thing in the situation in which you find yourself that there's like whatever that benefit is um but trying to deal with the, the psychological aspect mm. um so you know that's that's the thing for me it's like if we were to um you're, you're not ascribing the same agency to a mountain lion as you do to yourself mm. right so it's like that's they are you know if they're an obligate carnivore it's like that's their thing and they don't have the same decision making as, as we do necessarily you know i'm just uh, my argument is more about a pain thing oh sure know, more like if we're yeah. talking about pain and ethics of how to kill something if mm-hmm. you have to it's like I'm pretty sure that deer is much happier getting shot than <laughs> oh, having sure. its yeah, face yeah. torn if you're, off. If you're talking about the perspective of deer, it's a different thing. Yeah. It's, and I think the like the um, you know the, the the folks that are if they're getting uh, frustrated or upset, whatever, from that that argument is because they're coming not straight from the deer's perspective. Is like yes, but you're the one that's stepping in and taking the life. It's mm. like your action to, um, to do that. Yeah, so. which if we get rid of unethical farming practices and factory mm-hmm. farming, that I think, in my opinion, that argument has less merit. Mm-hmm. Um, like the the whole, like, say, cow farming and methane gas. Well, mm-hmm. it's a bit misrepresentative because one of the issues they have that problem is because you're feeding them corn. Oh, yeah. And stuff <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? And so when yeah. you start to break down, like, the why, why mm-hmm. is this happening? Mm-hmm. Then a lot of people have a, it's like, the, that cognitive dissonance oh, like sure. you realize what your your claims are aren't exactly right true. yeah and and i think like i i generally um regardless of which position you're coming from and, and i don't even just mean on the vegan mm-hmm. standpoint it's like when when you're when you're discussing something with somebody it's like i i get frustrated when people overextend their position because mm-hmm. it's like now you're going to a thing that you're actually opening yourself up to be to be knocked down a peg mm-hmm. by something that wasn't necessary for you to extend into, and it's showing that you have a bias of trying to like you're trying to win the argument as mm-hmm. opposed to actually finding truth, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, it's but yeah, the the thing on the on the farming aspect as well, it's like it's it's not like I said, it's not just animal impact or, or whatever the horrors are of that. It's like how that industry functions from the no, the, the weight on corrupt. well and and the human like element of it is like the honestly some of the psychological trauma from people working in these mm-hmm. environments is just fucking horrendous as yeah. well as with like migrant worker abuse right mm-hmm. it's it's yeah there are things that i cannot talk about <laughs> you're good too enraged but you know i think it's interesting like because from an ethical perspective I made the decision to start hunting because mm-hmm. I don't want to support those industries if mm-hmm. I don't have to. Now, if we, mm-hmm. we buy beef, we're luckily in Canada where you get grass-fed beef mm-hmm. more often than not, mm-hmm. and they're going to be better than a lot of places in the States, and then other people take, I'm not having meat. Right. You know, f- and both, people are, both groups of people are choosing an ethical decision based on we don't like the standard practices, mm-hmm. and everyone's oh, like yeah, making yeah. a different way to go about that right so it's just, i find it interesting like how two different p- people will come to that com- complete different conclusions yeah and i mean it, it also depends on what your motivation is right it's like generally if people talk about a vegan vegetarian diet it's like it's uh it's a question of whether you're doing it for environmental reasons um for health reasons or for ethical reasons those are the primary drivers right yeah um the ones that are the least sticky are um are health and environment yeah um the one that's the most sticky is when you get to um uh, some sort of like your 
your ethical judgment on the situation of taking life for um, if if you don't need to, mm. um, and then we're talking about again that needs based where I'm fine personally, right? Mm. Because the the diet thing that people if you're simply doing is like I'm going to be healthier, then it's just a diet, mm. right? And people bounce diets like nobody's business. Yeah. Um, if you're coming at it from environmental aspect, people don't necessarily have that the personal conviction, mm. and they're like you said. Now are we talking about factory farming as opposed to other solutions, right? Mm. Um, whereas if people land on the um, the something where they feel that there's an ethical weight to it, mm. um, because of, as I said, like preference for, and, and luxury taste versus life, mm. um, then that's very difficult to weasel your way out of, mm. right? Because yeah. so. for me, like, like I, a lot of people disagree that I think, so on one side, it's, it's a sort of political spectrum is that people, like say someone like Ben Shapiro, he's like ethics and morals are not relative. And I'm like, they are relative <laughs> now because people on the left will be like it's relative and then they'll take it as i can do whatever i want it's right relative. sure yeah. um so i think Full the, on moral, yeah moral the one argument is that hey these are the ethics and morals that humans have picked that seem to work well like thou mm. shalt not kill for example mm. or don't don't covet thy wife's you know the ten commandments <laughs> essentially they yeah. if you actually follow them it, those are pretty they're sensible decent, and they're, sensible, they're societal yeah. support right yeah, yeah but at the same time Say in a parallel universe where it's a dark, dark place where murder is completely ethically moral mm-hmm. and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Well, if I try to tell them in that universe, that's what you're doing is unethical and moral. They'll be like, no, it's it's totally ethical and moral. Here. Right. And that, that concept of it is relative. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the Taliban taking over Afghanistan are now apparently saying we're banning music again because it's evil and we hope right. we don't have to coerce you for them. That's ethical. And everyone else is looking I am going to judge those assholes, but <laughs> from their perspective, what they're doing is ethical and it's uh-huh. like, what the hell? Like, this is craziness. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think we have like broad agreement. There are, there are some, th- some things that are, um, that are far enough apart in terms of the value we ascribe to them that we're like, okay, this we can make a judgment call mm-hmm. on. But there are other, th- uh, or a large portion of, of humanity can, can come to a roughly similar conclusion when you weigh two different things, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's when I say again, it's like, you know, uh, preference, pleasure as opposed to life or suffering. It's yeah. like those are, those are pretty easy to balance. Right. Um, but the, I think we have a very difficult time trying to envision something that is so flipped from a logical perspective of like no murder is ethical. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we could envision a, a system where, you know, somebody dying is to their benefit and mm-hmm. now, okay, now we change the dynamics of the situation. Mm-hmm. But if we were straight, like, no, causing suffering is, is morally positive. Like, yeah. That's very difficult. Is to, that like the uh, assisted suicide sort of thing or? Yeah, no, exactly. So, but I mean, you were talking about a parallel universe mm-hmm. thing. So it's like, if the, the laws of that parallel universe are such that somebody experiences euphoria, death, or that, you know, ultimately life is, we, we deem that, Life is a horrendous bout of suffering, and so when you kill somebody, it's 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 a benefit. I mean, I guess that comes into the assisted suicide mm. question, right? Um, so I, I think that that now we can shift the calculus of it, as mm. opposed to it's like no, you're terminating somebody's life, you're depriving them of future happiness, you're depriving their family. It's mm. like it's 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 very difficult to flip the calculus to say that that is morally positive for yeah. us. Right? It reminds me, I was listening to uh, Lex Friedman's one of my favorite podcasts right now. Mm-hmm. And he had an AI, he has many AI people on because he's an AI specialist. Mm-hmm. And they were discussing about the morals and ethics of AI and, and what's too far. Mm-hmm. And the guy, his argument, I forgot the guy's name was something like, 
no, people shouldn't be scared of AI in themselves because to an AI in itself, unless we program it into it, it doesn't care if it's on or off. It's just existing. Mm-hmm. But, and this somewhat made sense, if you program it into it, the need or want or desire to self-replicate, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now it has a... There's a self-preservation aspect. A self-preservation that will keep in to keep itself producing. Yes, but yes. I, hypoth- And this is where a lot of people get lost is like, what do you mean it doesn't care if it's on or off? He's like, right. well, it doesn't need to, pre- pre- there's no need for it to preserve or not preserve itself for whatever reason. Right. Then the hypothetical is, let's say an AI in that sense is created. And then all of a sudden you create, like, I, I'm not a programmer. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not in that field, but sure. hypothetically just by chance or code error, it teaches itself the value of self-preservation. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? Right. right. Well, I mean, it, it, that's a that's a uh, not um, an obscure slip to fall into because okay, let's say you say the the objective of this thing is to I don't know deal with uh, with environmental disasters or whatever yeah. it happens to be, right? Um, so there can be a sense of um, if my if my how, how a lot of current neural nets function or or the the notion of like machine learning is that you give it an objective of some yeah. sort. Um, and it is rewarded um, if it achieves or gets closer to that objective, right? So it tries, you know, a fuck ton of different possibilities of how to, yeah, how to approach something. <laughs> and then the, um, the iterations that, that get it closer to that goal are the things that are rewarded and are advanced into the next generation, mm. right? There's literally a generational evolution. Mm. Um, so, um, and that's how it then refines and does better, right? By total chance. Um, so if you were to get to, well, we need to solve environmental disasters, and that is the objective. Mm. Um, and then if there's a, a recognition like, well, if if this system itself um, or this instance of it, you know, because we're not talking about something as conscious necessary, but this instance of this program or this AI um, disappears, mm. then the likelihood of achieving that objective diminishes. Mm. Well, now it has a, a, a desire or a need for self-preservation in order to achieve the objective, mm. right? So that's that's kind of where, like, if people were to, just from a, a, a pop culture perspective, get to the Skynet aspect, yeah. you know, if Skynet, in, in, in order to make the world a better place, yeah. you know, if Skynet has to exist and humans are the ones fucking it up, mm. well, then humans have to be eliminated, right? Yeah. That's, that's kind of the, the pop culture way. My theory, hypothesis, whatever, is that if it is able to evolve fast enough Mm -hmm. there may be a window where it has that attitude Mm -hmm. but i think that attitude is very human because if morals are relative and Mm -hmm. what's evil is relative to that Mm -hmm. i mean for our human perspective we can say hey that person is evil because they don't care about other people etc but then ai evolving quick enough may simply come to the conclusion this is a natural part of the universal process and i'm gonna leave it alone sure right oh i see yeah, I mean, the, and, and there's a notion of um, the, the system as a whole as, a, uh, as opposed to individual instances, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you've got like physical manifestations. You have, you know, call it a robot or call it a machine or whatever, right? Um, the individual existence may not give a fuck if it, mm-hmm. if it exists or not. However, it can strive for the preservation of the system mm-hmm. for the system, you know, however many copies, replicas yeah. there are of it to, to succeed. Yeah. So there can be like a, a, a social benefit, like I don't want to say communistic, but like in, in terms of it, it needs the whole to survive, but mm. there's no there's no care for the individual. Mm. Well, it's why I don't like big government because from the hu- human <laughs> experience perspective, that's what ends up happening. Sure, 
regardless of political ideology. If well, the system has a need for self-preservation. Yeah, the system becomes too big, and then you're just doing things to keep the system going because we need we need our budget the next. And it's the same like to me. This is so obvious that you need that balance of mm-hmm. you can't have it too big, or you can't. Mm-hmm. It cannot be about the systems for sure. Yeah, and you know one of the things I find problematic about uh, Silicon Valley and programmers. And perhaps it's because it attracts a lot of autistic people mm-hmm. that when you start to look at everything as numbers, mm-hmm. it's easy to make decisions that screw everyone over because you've dehumanized oh, for sure. pers- like that uh, aspect. And that's why I think a lot of these, a lot of business decisions that are too focused on the numbers, mm-hmm. whether it be just because I want the money financially or uh, whatever, will have a lesser positive, net positive overall than if mm-hmm. you realize you have employees that mm-hmm. are need to be happy and productive and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it becomes a very, like, strict utilitarian type thing, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, and I think there's, I mean, there's two aspects in play there, right? The one is, like you said, the dehumanization and, and strictly, like, the financial calculus part. Um, and the other is, like, there's there can be um, a notion of hubris that, that comes into play there. It's like, I'm super, we're super skilled, we solved all of these problems, so mm-hmm. now we can apply things into a different area, mm-hmm. right? Um, and sometimes that's fine. But sometimes it's really fucked up, yeah. um, you know. So there, the the example like Musk is the example of mm-hmm. those things where he's like, I'm, you know, there's multiple industries that he's successfully disrupted. Mm. Um, but that, that's, that's hold not, my beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally right. Um, but then there's other examples of um, you know startups from like the you know young Harvard Business School type graduates mm-hmm. that are are in that same mindset of we're going to be able to disrupt, um, you know, and it was like how vaccine distribution works or how mm. like test distribution works, mm. like massive fucking boondoggles mm. because they have zero experience in terms of how to actually execute on these things. Mm. Um, so it's that, that hubris can sometimes be a downfall as well. Yeah. An idea in itself doesn't mean anything. It's how you execute it. And then, well, to me, like, because I don't want to get too political with you, but <laughs> the certain ideologies right now yeah. have these ideas, which in like hypothetically are a good idea because uh-huh. what we want to achieve is morally good. Right. But you can see in real time they're they're failed ideas, mm-hmm. but the damage is done. <laughs> I had um, there was a notion I came to at some point where I mean, it, 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 to a degree, it gets into sometimes the like end justifies the means thinking getting in the way yeah um and sometimes there's a if if you come to um there are times when um anger at a situation is warranted Mm. right at what the current if there's whether that's you know social justice people being oppressed whatever the situation is where you're like it's it's there's a righteous anger vibe that, mm. that goes through and that may be accurate. The, the trouble becomes that when you get wrapped up in that, um, it can be, it, it is very difficult in righteous anger to nail the whole package. Mm. You can either be, you know, sometimes you can lean towards the anger side without, it's easy to lose perspective. Mm. So I think when people start getting into that cycle of like, no, we're, we're doing this for the moral benefit. Um, and we're right in this, um, it can be, you can start to excuse things that we would normally not do outside of that. Mm, yeah. um, so, and, and I think that it's very easy to keep going down that path of convincing yourself, but we're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, but are they? Like, that's, that's one <laughs> thing that bothers me politically or otherwise. It's like, hey, if you have a strong moral stance, you need to apply it across the board equally including on your side right and people just i 
uh, one side r- right now and i find it drives me nuts we're like oh but 50 years ago this group did that it's like no, yeah. no, no i'm talking about right now one yeah. side is doing just as bad or if not worse things morally than yeah. the other side they're that they're accusing of right and it's like i just caught you yeah like no it's fine yeah it's like because <laughs> but no you what you're doing is the same as worse or worse as what you're right. accusing that person right and that and that can get way behind is like you know the I think that like I I think you're correct in that in progressivism it's easier to slip into that. Oh, you um, picked up on what group I was talking I'm about. Just, it was very <laughs> subtle. It was hard. I'm a very good reader. Um, <laughs> um, it's e- I think it's easier to slip into that because it can often be driven closer to a notion of like, but we're we have a more expansive or inclusive notion of how we want to mm-hmm. lift people up. Um, but that it can be Education, easier to that's it. to that's what you do. <laughs> yeah, it can be easier to uh, to forgive and to to point out where it's like yes, but you're you're doing bad things to accomplish bad ends. We're doing slightly bad things, but we yeah. So it, yeah, that's that's the moral justification. Yeah, I mean, for me, the solution is it's first of all not indoctrinating people with ideas that mm-hmm. have not been proven good or bad, but educating. Mm-hmm. Everyone giving everyone the opportunity to learn to the same level. Now, I think one of the issues in, say, the American system regarding education, which is a complete failure mm-hmm. at this point, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's say you're not the smartest person in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's irrelevant of what background you come. We have like learning assistants mm-hmm. to help them get the support they need. Uh, and the really smart kids can then go to the, they can test for like IB programs sure. here. But in the US, like the public school system doesn't seem to really have the support and there's a very large disparity about what's yeah. available depending on where you are yeah based on the taxpayer the, the taxpayer mm-hmm. thing and it, and and instead of making it easier for everyone to get the general access to what they each need they basically make the whole system shittier because mm-hmm. it's harder right. to uplift <laughs> to it up. than well, just to sh- shit the system and bring it all down i mean that's that's for me is the challenge with um <sighs> If you provide, um, if you provide people with uh, with information on on things that don't actually have a, a strong, say, scientific backing, or there's not strong reasoning behind it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because in in the notion of um, uh, providing access to all information, it's like, well, there's if if we were to say it's like we're going to teach like heliocentrism because mm-hmm. that's and we're going to put it on equal footing with um or or sorry you know that the this i can't remember because heliocentrism is, is closer to correct but anyway um if we're gonna, if correct we're gonna, if we're gonna <laughs> well because the sun isn't the center of the, of the universe either. oh i see what you mean. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. but like if we're gonna if we're gonna still um continue advocating that the earth is the center of the planet we're gonna put that on equal footing as a valid theory it's like well we got a problem right mm. if people don't have the means to be able to discriminate and to distinguish between those things, you're going to have an issue, right? But, but didn't you know the earth is flat? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't understand that one, but it's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I, I think that people are like, I get a kick out of like pushing the, the limits or something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it, it's so you, I, the, the challenge with, um, with where people are coming from, I think, um, with trying to say no, but you shouldn't teach X is because there's a fear that people are not properly equipped to be able to make that discrimination. Um, and, what do you mean but by then, that? Um, let's say you have a. Um, if we were to get to, since we were talking about the U.S., um, if we were, we were to say that um, uh, intelligence design should be put on equal footing with evolution mm-hmm. and, and those sorts of discussions, it's like 
let's if we can present information that's fine but we need to be able to provide enough information about this is what what the the current state of the art or, or the the top of our understanding is um we can we can teach historical context context to something so we can teach that evolution of that that we consider the earth was the center of the, of the universe and then we're like oh no we've now determined that this it's you know closer that we're revolving around the sun etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but I think where people start to get concerned is where, um, where things are presented with needing to have uh, an equal defense. Mm. Um, and if people that you're teaching this to, if they're like younger kids, they don't yet have the distinguishing tools to be able to see, well, this one is actually bullshit because of X, Y, Z, the information here is better. Mm. So, but as soon as you start tilting information, uh, you know, tilting towards, well, this is the correct one. Mm. Where do we make those distinctions? Right. Yeah. So, but if you, if you take that too far, you can say, um, when you extend that into notions of like social theory or, um, or, or ideology or, or those types of aspects, um, which is the one that you're presenting if we're just saying these are equally valid, mm. but you know, where, where are there things where we are actually weighing? It's like, well, there's an advantage to this versus that. Yeah. You know, the religion one is interesting because, you know, that, I went through the process of like full on atheist, like mm-hmm. grew up Jewish, not not religious family, but atheist. And then now I'm more agnostic, but mm-hmm. the sort of the science people will mm-hmm. be like, uh, how dare, like, how can you, I can believe this. And then, and, and they'll say, look at all the atrocities of the church. No, oh, there, sure. there are, sure. you can't to pretend there isn't, is insane. Yeah, yeah. But then I can then turn around and be like, but you're now, idealizing and religiousizing either science so, and yeah. or uh, uh, politics. Right, yeah. And I can point out that you guys are doing the exact same thing because the the, the root thing is that some humans are dickheads. Right, it's, it's any system is open to abuse. Right? Yeah. It's a question of how we exploit it. Now, as far as the religious aspect, I... I is I, I despite people's claims this year, I do like <laughs> science and support it very much, but I don't believe in rash decision-making just because of mm-hmm. a new piece of information sure, because yeah. it's very disastrous. Yeah. If you have no longitudinal studies for something, I have that as a serious problem right. um, for something fairly recent. Um, but the best argument I heard for religion, let's take aside the corruption and the bad behavior in certain mm-hmm. organizations as to why it might be necessary for humans at this point. Mm-hmm. It's actually Ben Shapiro. He kind of changed my mind on that is that, it's a check for the bad behavior in that if you oh, believe sure. in something outside yourself that's yeah. beyond yourself, yeah. you will then, regardless of how you justify it, uh-huh. act slightly better in sure. theory. Sure, there's, I mean, there's, that's, that's kind of like the, uh, a notion of um, both a societal glue thing as well as like general moral compass and, and all of those. It's like, and, and uh, don't get me wrong, it's like I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on religion. Um, and it's like I, if, if you want to call me anything, you could call me Buddhist, right? Um, mm-hmm. So the, the, the thing that I find really interesting is that in, um, you generally find where, at least in my experience, or I've generally found, where you find disagreement between different religious groups um, is generally more on the lay, like the laity, right? Mm. When you start to get to like the literalism of how to like how yeah, do it. When when you get 
more like even past the clergy because there is like institutionalization there mm. but when you get to like the mystics of any tradition mm. they actually have more in common with each other than the people in their own religion like yeah the, 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 the fundamental principles of most <laughs> yeah. religions are fairly similar yeah so there's don't be a dickhead be respectful within reason well and and things start like the um the the literalism starts to drop away there is more of um you know a convergence on the things we can't actually put properly into words where the the rituals the stories all of those things are are intended as like an experiential guide towards something mm. towards an experience um but if you you know start to take if you were to take um the the things i was describing of like what drew me to buddhism is like there's a notion of pragmatism there's a notion of hammering through it yourself there's a notion of recognizing that like when you have you know, a tonka like the big, um, like the paintings right mm. on the wall of, of these different deities. It's it's recognizing that as a as a means to describe an aspect of your own mind, mm. right? Um, as opposed to, and it's putting it out there as something that you can hang on to to a degree or be a pointer. Um, but when you start to say it's like I am supplicating this external being in order to make my life better, it's like mm. that's where things start to be problematic. Yeah. And then you get into like mutual exclusivism between different religions. Mm. And shit kind of goes sideways. Yeah, because it's like you know, Judaism in its fundamentals is like the Ten Commandments essentially. Yeah. yeah. And then you got the different ways to interpret it, and mm -hmm. it's like some of these guys are like gone totally off the deep end now so oh now i remember i was distracted sure. i'm so tired today <laughs> um the reason why the why is so important to me in krav yeah. maga or yeah. in general is because if you forget the why you end up doing things for no reason so 100%. religion is the good example exactly yeah. if you forget why a ritual was there in the first place you yeah. don't know whether to ask do we need this still or do we not yeah and you know i have you heard, have you heard of the stone ape theory Yes, yeah. Do with psychedelics and mushrooms, and, and it's a it's a interesting thing about Christianity that there's a lot of speculation now that the church kind of damped down was that the psychedelics were a huge part oh, of yeah. Christianity, which is one of the reasons you why it took off. Stuff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which I, you know, my understanding is it was actually him who really spread the religion, not actually Jesus right. uh, of Nazareth. But I'm not a I'm not a religious scholar. scholar but yeah. to me, with the religious stuff, we're the, the 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 turkey example did i were you in class when i gave the turkey I don't example think so. yeah so i forgot i heard it on some podcast mm -hmm. uh the wife is cooking a turkey and she's cutting off the end of the turkey before she puts it in the oven mm -hmm. the husband is like you know you always do that and it, it dries out the turkey like you shouldn't be doing that it makes no sense why do you do that mm -hmm. says uh and this was someone's actual story uh -huh. um Oh, my mother always did it like that. I thought that's right. the way you're supposed to do it. Right. And so she asked the mother's like, I don't know. Well, the grandma did it like that. Mm -hmm. Go to grandma. Why did you do it? Mm -hmm. What was the answer? Do you know? And yeah. Great, great grandma did it. Yeah. My mom did it no, before me. Oh, there no. was a reason. The oh, the, 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 the bucket was too short. The, the, the oven that a very yeah. small oven turkeys yeah. never fit in. So she'd cut it in for a practical there sense. You go, yeah. So it means the grand, the, the daughter of the grandmother didn't need to do that because she didn't understand the why. The why. Yeah. And nobody explained the why. Right as to why I need to do this. And so you, with cultural practices or traditions or whatever, yeah. the why you do that is really important because sure. every generation need to ask, do I still need to do this? Right. Or is this their silliness? Yeah. And that's where people in religion, for example, or because a culturally acceptable practices get stuck because right. they're like, I'm comfortable doing this. I'm used to doing the automatic lights. Yeah. And then, uh, 
it's all of a sudden got really intimate in here. Uh, <laughs> and then people don't understand. So like when I'm talking about the why, it's one, it's important for a legal defense from in modern society. Right. But also like, defense, don't yeah. just do it because I told you to do yeah, it. Because yeah. then you don't understand what you're doing. Well, and I mean, there's there's practical applications. See, it's like it is, you know, it is impossible to teach every single permutation of a, of a situation. Yeah. Right. So there, there's that. But yeah, for sure. I mean, that that's. That's the thing for me when we when we come to um, like you said any if there's a, a ceremony or a ritual or something behind how we do it I'm like even if you were to take the the example of the turkey it's like well it's kind of a ritual it's like mm. you go through the steps right yeah um, but it makes it dry the turkey yeah, totally. so it's silly <laughs> in the um, in the the Buddhist analogy for that is they they talk about uh, uh, baking bread um, mm. and the reason being it's like that the the dharma which is like the teachings mm. that's the that's the recipe right mm. but you've got to bake the bread. Mm. Um, so you're baking bread each time yeah. um, and everybody's going to have a different result. You need to actually taste it and whether the, the bread comes out properly. Mm. Um, so, but you need that, uh, you know, not just cut off the tail of the turkey in that yeah. example. Um, yeah. So, cause then you can actually explore about does, does the bread taste like shit or not? Yeah. And then, you know, me and me and my wife have this discussion about like, what's the evolution? Like, let's say fundamentally it is just a one zero equation. Mm-hmm. Is there an end, uh, like a legitimate end goal and the universe is like, I don't know, there's a million ways to get to that end goal. You all figure it out based on oh, your environment. Right. Or is it simply just a response? Yes, no response to what's going on uh-huh. for the best possible means of survival of the genes. Right. It's like, for example, um, The Expanse. Have you seen The Expanse? I've not. Oh, no. man. She's so good. Uh, I still think Battlestar Galactica was much more uh, existential. In the, uh-huh. but, but in The Expanse, they find this like molecule, this uh-huh. little molecule. And then it starts to infect things and develop and and it's evolving uh-huh. but it's some sort of advanced forgotten technology that has an end goal of evolving to gather resources to build a portal okay and that's all it was for oh i see yeah so it's doing all this stuff and it seems like it's a super hyper intelligence thing but it's actually uh-huh. all it's doing is trying to achieve its goal which was build the portal right and it literally starts it's a little crazy advanced molecule that they find and they're right. like how do we weaponize it? how do we do all that like that's right. the first season or second season or something uh-huh, uh-huh. and then they start you know exploring exploring it i forgot what season they're on now mm-hmm. but that is like that specific thing actually had an evolutionary angle mm-hmm. so for something oh, like, like for us well because it was designed yeah well. it was designed yeah. like is you know is it just uh, is everyone simply just responding to a yes no and we're right. finding the best solution or is there an end goal because that's why like for me, it's so important not to have centralized power because then you're assuming, let's say we don't know what the end goal is and you centralize the power and we're like, this is the way to do it and you right. completely screw up and then let's say there is a God, he's like, idiots, you're not going to get to the end goal. Uh, or <laughs> is it... going to take another few millennia. Yeah, or is it simply <laughs> you need the variations for the best possible chance of continuous survival for the genes which actually don't really care up how they end up. Right. In yeah. which case there is no right answer. Yeah, and I mean the 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 place where I find myself is that, and and I guess this is part of my own like mm. journey um, coming from again like a Christian background, which definitely has like specific goals um, as opposed to something that's more Buddhist. Because there's like I I, I don't currently find that um, I'm at a place where the the finding like an origin story, for mm. instance, um, and whether there's a, a an explicit end goal. Um, is knowable to me. Mm. However, there are things that I can discover about myself, about how I behave, how I interact with the world, um, where I can be a benefit to others mm. that I can practice towards. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I think is a worthwhile goal, mm. um, regardless of the other things. It's like I, 
I try to be somewhat pragmatic, uh, pragmatic with that. I'm like, where there's, if there's, um, you know, I, I can't remember who, uh, what the guy's name was, but th there's there's a notion of like the bullshit asymmetry principle, right? It's it's much easier to simply posit something mm -hmm. than it is to actually disprove it. It mm -hmm. takes an, a, a, like a, an order of magnitude more effort to properly understand something than just put it forward. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to things that I'm looking at, I want to put in the effort to understand this or pursue this or whatnot. Mm -hmm. I need to have a reasonable expectation that I'm going to be able to do that properly. Yeah. Um, so, and then I can like, like, cool, now I can investigate yeah. this. So, like it, whether or not we're placed here by ancient aliens, I'm not going to be able to determine. And I'm cool not, though. I, I'm sure. Yeah. But it, it doesn't make a big difference to my day to day life. Mm -hmm. So the return on investment for me trying to explore things and discover them to the point where I would have a reasonable amount of confidence to have a, a you know, to make a judgment call on mm -hmm. that is going to be a huge but not going to really serve me much anyway. Yeah. So that's kind of how I try and discern what I'm going to look which, at. Which is interesting. Like I'm naturally like, if you leave me, I'm a thinker and I'm like, I like the ideas and I don't, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily like the doing. I'm like at the beginning of the process, like, Hey, why don't you try go do that theory? Like you, you go figure it out. I'll <laughs> think about it. And, and, yeah. and it's, let's say someone else is like, but that's not practical use of your brain power. <laughs> like, well, why not? Like, I want to think about, what yeah. could be what is what's a better idea what for sure um, i think you need the thinkers and then the doers because for like a lot of aspects of science for say is completely irrelevant to the average person for the day-to-day -day, right though the results of it uh -huh. they don't realize they're relying oh, yeah. on heavily you and, know? and i think like absolutely you need you know there's um i i I try to, like I said, I, I would describe I have kind of, oh, I should Monday, I should do this, or, mm -hmm. and then I should study, and then I should have a night work and Netflix and chill or whatever. Um, but I, I really enjoy just reading like fiction, mm -hmm. reading novels, or reading classics, or mm -hmm. whatever it happens to be. There's not necessarily some specific end goal or benefit that I get out of that, mm -hmm. but there's discovery and mm -hmm. there's enjoyment, and my mind starts to work in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, so while I may not like, you know, um, there's not a specific utility in me reading like Machiavelli's Prince. I mm -hmm. mean, I could say if I'm trying to get into business or whatever, I could go for that. I don't necessarily have to agree with it, mm -hmm. but it's helpful for me to go and understand and explore that. And my brain starts to work maybe a bit of a different way and understand some other situations. Yeah. Well, it's like perspective and uh, creativity yeah, and imagination. Yeah. Like, so this idea, well, you should know better. It's like, okay, but, not necessarily because people may be lacking information. Their brain doesn't process. They don't come to the same conclusion. Right. You, you really need to actually just point people in the right direction sometimes because mm -hmm. like you, everyone has probably had them and were like, oh, shit, I literally did not think of that. Right. Like, yeah, well, yeah, it's yeah. so obvious, but I didn't think of that. And all you needed, like, so a lot of people reject fiction because, like, it's not practical, but it's, yeah. like, actually... A lot, like for example, uh, so many scientists watch Star Trek, and were like, mm -hmm. "I want to make that happen." Oh, sure, and it drove yeah, yeah. Them the inspiration. Through, yeah. I want to make, and some things are complete spectacular failure, like transporter. I don't think we're getting anytime soon. Yeah, we've transported small things. Wow, <laughs> until we know what consciousness actually is. Yeah, yeah. I think that we're we're a little ways away from from transporting a living object. Yeah. But uh, or the Holy Grail, the medical tricorder. Yeah, but yeah. other things that they were speculating in, then people have made to come reality. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, so there's there's that inspirational aspect, and um, but I mean, even I, I think other parts of fiction, like um, 
reading novels and eating, uh, reading stories, like I, 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 like I said, I did some uh, philosophy and humanities, and we did a chunk of um, like Greek classics. And so there's, you know, reading Medea and reading, um, you know, some other Homeric hymns and whatever. It's like there's there's stories there of human experience and something that you may not have personally experienced yourself, but that you can then start to envision how what the dynamics are between those people. So there's even that, like the whole, you know, for lack of, sorry for a cliche term, but the human condition aspect of like, what, what does it mean when we place ourselves in those situations? There's good, there's churning and there's like, it feeds to kind of the, the basis of what's, what's available for you to call upon when you're, when you're facing a a given situation. Um, So I think there's benefit there, but but, I mean, even, even besides that, there was somebody that, um, shoot, what was it? They were a, 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 a an artist, so they did like web comics and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were saying that people were giving them shit for like you always start the stuff, but you never finish it, mm-hmm. right? I was like, yes, but there's they they found for themselves all these little side projects that they do. It's like they're drawing, they're expressing their creativity, they're finding out what works, what doesn't. They're advancing how they draw and their skill set and their art. So it's like while there wasn't an end product to mm-hmm. like eighty or ninety percent of the things that they started there was still benefit that they derived out of that, mm. right? They still fit, tried things, failed, figured out what worked, what doesn't, mm. had practice in their art, all of that. So. Yeah. Yeah, learn the failures. Like, uh, if you look at, like, angel investors, they'll invest mm-hmm. in 10 companies knowing oh, nine yeah. of them are going to fail. And that same principle applies to learning oh, absolutely. and uh, keep going and you'll figure it out eventually whether it's the right answer for someone else and maybe not. It's the right answer for you or that at that time. Right. Um, I mean, and there's... Um, the thing that I, I, I don't know how this is going to pan out, um, but there's you know folks that are discussing. I, I think Simon Sinek and, and others had done a bit of a similar thing of like how, how our how we relate to failure and mm-hmm. how that's it's become much more challenging or much more risky to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, in like the current you know internet age, there's so much pressure to simply be. There's so much competition. Um, in order to actually be able to make a living mm. and get out and, and differentiate I mean, yourself because the pool is so wide. Yeah. I mean, but, it's relative though. Cause for me, yeah. like self-defense failure is dead. And right. For yeah, most no, of absolutely. human life, that's what failure meant. Yeah. You die. Yes. <laughs> and, and a yes, but there mm. like, but we fuck up in training. Mm. Right. Um, and, but we have to, because you have to go through the experience of what doesn't work mm. in order to practice your body. So I think it's that, I think that's what, you know, those folks were trying to point out. And I'm kind of looking at that for my kids of like, I didn't have that same degree of all of my fuck ups and missteps being permanently recorded. Mm. Right. Oh, I see um, what you mean. Now I get what you mean. Yeah. It's that aspect of like the, you can't no, sweep it under the rug. Anymore. Yeah. No tolerance of failure and missteps. So yeah. I'm, and, and as you said, it's like that failure is critical for us to be able to actually learn in advance. And grow, yeah. So. Yeah. Like I, uh, just briefly, I don't know what the don't know what the deep the thing whatever about Jocko podcast, and mm-hmm. he just started talking about like you all shit on war, mm-hmm. but you know how much positive stuff has come out of war because of the need to quickly come up with a solution, or oh. you will die. You know what I mean? Oh, so, I see. Yeah. Um, it's like the need for solutions and iterations and being okay with that. But in mm-hmm. the alt, when you're cornered and that failure is. Death, Death, yeah. You figure out a solution real fast, <laughs> and we've become so uncomfortable with it, possibly for the reason everything is recorded now, and right. there's zero forgiveness in like cancel call. Like people are lunatics about mm. what's acceptable to go after someone and what's not. Right. Uh, we'll ignore, you know, uh, like Anthony Cumio's decision 
all that bullshit in New York. We're not going to anymore because mm-hmm. it's convenient for me or my group of people. But dude, you screwed up. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you just say you screwed up and mm-hmm. like, nope, nope, nope. Because that would be weak. But it's like, well, it's what? the, when you, when you get, yeah, I mean, a zero tolerance thing is, is exceptionally challenging. Yeah. There was, um, zeroism. I despise zeroism <laughs> as a general yeah. rule. It just, is not how things work. Yeah. There's, and there's no room again that, that blanks out any room for growth. Right. Yeah. There was, um, an example of that where I think this, this played out decently ultimately was there was, um, I can't remember the guy's name, um, but he was, uh, he's, he's in game development as well. Um, and he's now at, I think it was at EA. Mm. Um, and there was stuff that was dug up um, of, you know, years and years and years ago, like blogs that he had put out where he was like, he was just a misogynistic fuck. Like mm. it was, it was pretty fucking brutal and super racist. Um, but it was like the internet edgelord type mm. bullshit. Right. Um, and so that got brought to light and, um, and he was canned from riot. Um, cause people were calling for his head, but there was actually a, like a huge amount of people that, um, that ended up stepping forward is like, actually since then, like he was a kid, he was stupid. He's mm. actually come forth and apologized. Mm. Um, and he's actually now been, um, at the forefront at a whole bunch of work, um, advancing, um, support for women in games mm. and for like doing that type of advocacy. Mm. So he was actually like a, for a whole chunk of time, he was targeted by Gamergate because mm. they didn't like that. He was actually supporting women in games. <laughs> so there's shit dug up about him in order to shit can him. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, so th- I think that's the challenge when people make some of those snap judgments. But you did this 20 years ago. You're yeah, It's like, yeah. are you kidding yeah. me? So in this case, like he was canned and that's BS, but there's a whole bunch of people in the industry that were like, actually, y'all don't know the full story mm. and kind of brought that forward. Um, yeah. So he's got support from that. Right? Yeah, that's the thing is that we, the pressure and the, just the malice and the hate and all that. People don't want to accept the growth. But if someone mm-hmm. is like screwed up and down the road, they're not better than yeah. it's like okay now we can talk yeah, about sure. that yeah. yeah and but now it's just like nope i think that's one of the reasons like for, for politicians one of the problems is we don't want to hear from our politicians that they screwed up because right. then we won't vote we'll, for them yeah, but we'll the reality them. is it's like what did you do and why did you screw up yeah if it was like hey i made that decision it was a complete misunderstanding now mm-hmm. i know mm-hmm. it's one thing now if they're just saying it oh sure yeah yeah, then yeah. yeah. forget you but it's it's us the public's fault this keeps happening because they know it's political suicide to To be honest about it and it's safer and better for your political career just not to acknowledge it right especially like the whole cancel culture thing that just like it's to the point where it's lunatic like it's just nonsensical at a certain point yeah i think that like the the difficulty is those you know the um, like the, the, the Twitter environment doesn't oh, lend so itself to, to like detail, right? Whereas, like, I, how this, like, I'll, for me personally, like, what has actually served me the best in my career, um, like, work wise, professionally, I mean, personally as well, has been integrity. Mm. When you fuck up, say so. Yeah. And then actually go from there and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing is, and especially like, if you, if you do that with the big things, um, then people know that even on the small stuff that they can actually give you that grace because they recognize that if it was actually your fault, if it was your mistake, mm-hmm. you will own up to it and you advance. And having that confidence from people um, is like is priceless. So the challenge is that in order to be able to do that, you need an environment where people are going to give you the grace to say it's like we expect that people make mistakes. Mm-hmm. That's fine. 
but it's how you recover from that. Yeah. You know, it's the, you know, how, why do we fall master Wayne? Like that thing. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's why I get so annoyed when I see people intentionally screwing around with stuff and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, just be honest about it. Well, if I'm honest about it, you won't do what I want you to. Uh, <laughs> that's where I have the problem. If I figure out you're manipulating me, yeah. I have zero. Which as we trust. talked before this podcast, I'm highly speculative. That's what's going on in yeah. certain situation. And I'm not, that's what I'm really angry about yeah. because if you want, like my biggest fear about, let's say a whole situation going on, and I'm not the only one who's expressed this, that mm-hmm. if you keep up with this attitude of mm-hmm. manipulating mm-hmm. and not admitting mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. you will get people to reject science yeah, or reject truth yeah. or reject the correct process because you're like, well, you're, and this is gamers, programmers, intellectuals do this is, well, you're too stupid to understand. So yeah. I'm not going to try it. And yeah. it's like, well, you, the actual attitude of doing that, certain people, that I was talking about earlier have basically said that publicly. Right. You don't understand it anyway. Right. And one of the examples was, you're not a doctor. You don't know how to read a scientific literature paper. I'm like, what the fuck do those two things have to do with each other? And that sort of attitude that, well, I'm going to manipulate and control things because I won't get the result out of you. Right. I'm going to, and then you're like, you lied about it. And they're like, it was for the greater good. Right. If you, yeah, it's (sighs) exactly. So that's, that's the challenge with like the end justifies the means thing, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, I know best. And, it is, um, you know, I, I even in even I think in like our own personal uh, or professional environments, so like I, I struggle with that of like when I need to get um, I know what because this is my area of expertise. Mm-hmm. Like I need to do a network design. I need to mm-hmm. get a certain result, whatever. Um, are there times where I need to like guide things toward mm-hmm. um, what the correct situation is so that people don't get stuck on like details that are actually just going to distract and be bullshit and not right. actually help us get there um so there's i think that that takes a lot of discipline and practice for how to say this is the full range of things that we could possibly do but really this is where we need to go because of x y and z mm-hmm. and like this is a bad idea for this reason mm. but you need to be able to communicate to who your audience is like that is a lot easier to do in small groups yes where that you is know who yeah. like who has what level of competence in which area mm. it is really, like i don't envy people trying to deal with moving a giant group of people in a given direction mm. or like it, it's it's a nightmare well, J- jeff here's the issue here's where it gets screwed up Jeff Bezos basically says this about decision making. Seventy mm-hmm. percent mm-hmm. good enough, right? Otherwise, you're gonna either the amount of energy and time of resources you're gonna spend to get that remaining amount. Oh, you mean for certainty? Uh, just for for moving forward towards any goal, right? So if I have to make it, it's like, do I have seventy percent of the information, or right. yeah, do I okay. have seventy percent of what I need? Uh, we need to go forward because if you want to spend on any decision and. Maybe that's why the number was set at 70% for that other thing that they're blatantly ignoring now, which is that's where I'm, this is where I'm annoyed Yeah. because either you got to let it go and accept that, that 30% mm-hmm. or you go full dictatorship control mm-hmm. psychopath mm-hmm. and you just destroyed a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, resources have been wasted for the energy, like the point of diminishing returns right. for input output. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't like zeroism because you're, let's say you need X amount of energy for anything to get to 90%, but mm-hmm. in order to get that hundred percent, mm-hmm. I need to quadruple my energy out. But right. it's like, are you out of your mind? Yeah. And you can, I, I think it's a universal thing, right? You can take that and apply. Oh, it for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the, like the, uh, the 80, 20 or whatever. Yeah. You call it. Um, yeah. Cause I mean the, the, um, what was I going to say? The, 
seventy percent. No, I totally output efficiency, decision making, like trying to force that last percentage to get where you're going. Mm-hmm. Like, like perfectionists often are very not productive. Right, because they stall out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, that was it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, for in in order to, um, it is much simpler to be able to do that thing where you can take a few shots at it, or mm. where you don't. Where like if you're, it's some. Uh, if we make a decision to go, mm-hmm. right? If we can iterate on it and mm-hmm. we can recover mm-hmm. and then keep going forward, yeah. then, and that lends itself to the thing we were talking about with failure, right? Mm-hmm. The failure, if we can make smallish bets and then kind of step forward, step mm-hmm. forward, step forward, and we leave our options open mm-hmm. and we, we commit that we can backtrack if we have to, cool. Mm-hmm. The difficulty becomes like, it is a lot harder to make that call um, if you're betting the entire company, mm-hmm. right? So if there's like that much of a, like, how much certainty is enough to make that fun, that big of a bet, mm. right? Yeah. Um, so, and I think like in tech, there's more opportunity for that, especially mm. with somebody the the scale of AWS is like, well, let's throw the service out there, see if it works, mm. and then if it like doesn't, like half we'll of Google's it. products. Yeah. Th- <laughs> <laughs> seriously. Yeah. Um, the yeah, then then that's fine because we can like if you're uh, if we make we we have reasonable confidence that there's a market for this and that's going to help mm. things throw five million dollars at it see if it works and if it doesn't eh, mm. you know we'll move on um, and you know that's how smart companies operate and right, you know yeah. like the comparison like a lot of people will say you can't compare a government to a company it's like if a company goes 100 percent in on something an idea a theory and it fails it's mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. if a government does that they just take more money from you and this is where <laughs> like that's why i don't like it no matter what the reason and justify the means yeah yeah you'd stop putting all your ends in your stupid little basket yeah. that may end up destroying a lot more than you think if you go a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Um, for a variety of reasons, right. You need a control group. You need all sorts of, you could apply this to anything yeah. like, you know, um, like, so for example, you know, a less it's controversial, but less controversial is universal basic income. Right. Yeah. And they've tried it in tons of places. Mm-hmm. Now in th- hypothesis, it should, it seems like a good idea, right, but yeah. it keeps hitting sticking points. Okay. where it just doesn't Canada tried it in a few places before mm-hmm. now perhaps because it just people aren't ready for it yet mm-hmm. like I'm on the fence both ways I see both sides of the argument for mm-hmm. universal basic income mm-hmm. um, I think my conclusion is you just have to accept 80 20 20% of people are useless and 20% of people are going <laughs> to accept you're not going to fix the whole thing you, you yeah. can't you just can't yeah. right so on one side like a conservative perspective would be well, everyone's got to work. I don't want to give them something for nothing. I was like, yeah. are you going to prepare to kill these people? Because right. we've decided that's not ethical. So <laughs> what are you going to do with them? Maybe yeah. they need the money. Right. Um, but on the other side of the spectrum is the creatives. You take a stress factor away from them mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. become more productive. Totally. Well, and, and the, there's a pragmatism thing. I mean, uh, it, we, we see the same principle, I think, play out with like safe injection sites mm-hmm. or whatever, right? And that there's I think there's similar things when it comes to, to UBI. It's like, if we do this, mm. what are the other parts that we spend money on mm. for like infrastructure and government programs and what and social supports mm. that would lessen? Right. Yeah. So if you have, you know, for the safe injection site thing, it's like if we take about if we fund this to this degree, mm. um, can we actually like uh, do we have fewer issues with some policing? Do we have fewer, you know, medical expenses, whatever, because we're doing it in a cult and controlled environment? So I, you know, I, I think that that's perhaps some of the same uh, logic that has to be applied to UBI, and whether you can actually net those gains successfully, mm. 
and then write off as like, listen, there's going to be people. There's always people that abuse the system. So yeah, it'll, it'll be a thing. Yeah. Um, and you just call that like, you know, cost of doing business kind yeah. of. Oh, well, that's the thing is people want either zero or they want a hundred. Right. They, yeah, yeah. they yeah. want one side or the other. And we need to stop doing that because it's counterproductive in the end. Yeah. Um, you'd see what Jeff Bezos did with that attitude. Like regardless of his moral of how he sure. runs his company, just that approach that you just you end up wasting so much time and energy on yeah. just this extra. Right. And we need to get forward. So you need, you have to decide what your acceptable level is 60% mm -hmm. through to 80%, somewhere mm -hmm. in between, depending on the topic in, sure. in order to move forward. And sure. People just get stuck on those. Like, well, and, and I think that's maybe the same idea with UBI, right? Is like people have, um, I, I think we use that as an example, but whatever, mm -hmm. um, is that, if you what is the if you want to be able to call that last twenty percent, it's like usually the the distinction is going to be in how much time and effort and what's the process that we're going to push people through in order to qualify them or require them to go through these steps. You mm. know what I'm saying? Because, because I'm 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 kind of contrasting it with like a social welfare versus mm. UBI type thing, right? It's like, well, how much money do you spend on that versus just saying fuck it, just give mm. me the money? Um, and I think there's a there's a similar principle with say like a um, you know some countries that have for their uh, taxation systems. They're mm. like, we know how much you make. You gave us that thing. It's like, here's your filled out. Just give us the money. And mm. if you want to go spend money on doing more mm. to because you have weird investments, sure, that's fine. Mm. Um, but as opposed to how much money do we spend on auditing and our, our tax this, authorities. Yeah, so and, obnoxious. The IRS is brutal. CRA is not as bad, but yeah. they're still like... Yeah, exactly. So it's like how much money are we investing in order to run the infrastructure mm. in order to get that level of certainty, mm. right? That's the... Yeah. And you know, it's actually, you're at the whole learn to code thing, mm -hmm. um, which got bastardized heavily by politicians. Oh, like, like the boot camps? Or? No, no, no. Just the attitude of... what. Well, so as we phase oh, out blue collar work, that's yeah, where the yeah. Andrew Yang's thing about UBI sort of came in, uh -huh. which was uh, just teach them to code. <laughs> just teach them the code, which like I'm like, I, first of all, what the per I, I, I I forgot the person who originally said it, but uh -huh. I, their intention I understand was you need to understand the basic principles of a system yes. in order to be, and that's what they really meant by yes. learn to code. Yeah. And then it got don't make I'm, them professional software don't make them and, yeah. I, and, and it's like it's why i teach the why it's so important yeah it's, yeah it's a more basic principle but like so the that whole thing about humanity and the human condition is you're actively these places are trying to phase out the low-level workers mm -hmm. don't pretend like you're not mm -hmm. so that was andrew yang's thing about the UBI mm -hmm. is that what do we do with all these people? Mm -hmm. Well, they think in theory, oh, we'll teach them to code, we'll do this. I'm like, hey, but they want to do the kind of jobs they yeah. want to work with their hands. These yeah. people are not intellectual, some of them, some yeah. of them are, but they prefer to do that stuff. Yeah. You're taking this all away from probably in the end, it's going to probably be like billions of people who have nothing to do. Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you that's going to go horribly, horribly wrong because if you've, if you've read uh, Victor Frankl's book, um, man's search for meeting. Oh, yeah. it's it's a tough read, but yeah. it's so important. The yeah. it's like people need purpose. Yeah. So you can. This is why often people theorize that UBI fails in mm -hmm. the small test groups, mm -hmm. because and people end up just doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't incentivize purpose, right? Like I was listening to an interview with the uh, Spotify guy. I think he's from Sweden. I okay. think I think it's from Sweden. And I don't. I, 
I don't have to. I just, I'm not. I'm lazy. I'm not looking into it. But he was talking about well, in Sweden, mm-hmm. like if you want to sit there for a year and like get paid to do whatever, yeah. you can do it. Now, I think he didn't do a very good job explaining it because it sounds like to me like you can't do nothing. Yeah, there's they, actually. Yeah, they want to see like, are you working on a business right. while you're getting paid? Right. Are you working on some art? Are you doing something productive? Right. I get the feeling that in Sweden, if you sit around doing nothing, they'll check in on you and what like what have you done? Okay, yeah. get go get a job. You bump. Yeah. Versus when they talk about it here, people just don't want to make that connection. Make that connection. You you can't just be doing nothing. Right. Yeah. Like if you want to go bake bread, cool. Yeah. Go but for it. Do something. You yeah. can't be injecting heroin sitting on your couch playing video games. Right. Right. And, and if you're playing video games for the sake of entertainment and that's useful. Yeah, if you have a Twitch stream or something. Then okay, like, I guess that's something. Is it the most productive? I'm not sure. But you yeah. you're doing something that's of value to other people. Right. But a lot of people in North America culture are going to take that money and do nothing. Right. Right. As that's what we found with with uh, the payments both in America and here, the way that didn't matter is that a lot of people hate their work, uh-huh. don't like doing it. Uh-huh. They're making just as much or equal or more uh-huh. and they don't want to go back. And now the system is kind of screwed. Right. And it's like, okay, like for me, like it was very helpful getting payments. Right. I was being productive. Oh, you mean like for the Serbs? Like yeah, stuff? for like yeah. Serb. Yeah. I mean, I wish we didn't shut down. I don't, I genuinely don't believe it was necessary yeah. for people under 40, at least for conservatively that we did. We just completely, I think it was absurd, but yeah. it gave me time yeah. to do stuff be yeah. creative well, like the podcast totally and i mean and you had brought out ideas like okay well what do i do for are there other you know small businesses that i can try and kick off or mm. like other revenue streams or yeah whatever. So, but i know yeah factually a large percentage of people are not going to do that right and the idea behind ubi or these people is that everyone is going to go be like say me mm-hmm. but oh, i know they're not i see, I see. Yeah, yeah and i think it's delusional right that a lot of these people are like oh we're just going to phase out all the workers because automation and all this and they they'll, they'll find something to do it's like you guys i have not heard one single plan from any person to address this thing that we all agree is fundamental which is purpose and people right. struggle without it right. and none of you have addressed in this new world order whatever you want to call it how these people who are now have no purpose are going to function right yeah because like you said there are folks that do and it's like if if i've had my head stuck in spreadsheets for like Mm. days on end it's like i just want to do something dead simple that i'm going to accomplish something and like i i find reprieve and it's like i'm going to go physically build something as well Mm. or i'm going to go outside so absolutely like even people that are very cerebral need some of that aspect Mm. but like you said I, i don't think that it's a guarantee that Everybody that is currently, you know, doing whatever with their hands mm. is going to just continue. Walking. No, I did. There are people who will, but yeah. it's not a universal. Well, you'll get a huge percentage of the people that are like, cool, I'll sit here and drink my beer. Yeah. Like, if you, a lot, guys, a lot of guys will just get drunk, blow shit up if they have nothing to do. Like, <laughs> do, you, do, do, these, do these intellectuals just not understand that about ha- most of humanity? Yeah. Even smart people, they just do it more creatively with engineering. <laughs> you still do it. Like, I don't understand why they miss that aspect like to me i'm like am i the only one who realizes this problem i mean i I think it can be like the um shit what was it there was a a thing that i you mentioned google right Mm. um and them just like canning products there was an article that somebody recently brought out and they were like a list of all of google's messaging services and it was like it was like this long i feel like they didn't put any effort into any of that they they did they did but not all of them but it was like you know their start date and their death date um but but one of them was um uh was google buzz which is something that they literally it was i think it it basically it lived for like a few months but really it was like four days (laughs) but 
where they took all of your 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 email contacts, right? And they were like, the people that you interact with most, those are going to be your social network, and mm-hmm. we're going to make you follow them. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like it ended up being like a massive information disclosure. There were stories of people that had. Um, you know, a woman that got all of a sudden got connected back with her abusive ex-husband mm-hmm. that then, you know, so all of those privacy, con- privacy considerations mm-hmm. with the folks that were developing in this thing, they, because they don't experience those issues themselves, they had zero clue and mm-hmm. just launched this thing. Right. Like no thought of. What yeah. Could so if you're, you know, the thing that came to mind for me here is like, if you're somebody that is personally driven, that is mm-hmm. passionate, that you would continue working mm-hmm. and doing these things, even if you didn't have motivation, mm-hmm. then you're not perhaps geared to actually consider that there are people who think differently from yeah. yourself. Yeah. And which is, you know, I actually don't have a problem with cliches because I think that they're very established often, not always, but they're there for a reason sure yeah exactly and it's like you need to put yourself in other shoes and not just even very smart people Mm -hmm. struggle to do that yeah well i do it like this it's like i had someone saying the other day john you need more energy Uh, a client or something it's a friend of mine too Mm -hmm. so it's fine Mm -hmm. um and i'm like you need to be happier i'm like bro this is me i'm actually in a pretty (laughs) good mood i'm just I made some joke like if you want super high energetic, like you got to go hire this kind of person. Yeah. I won't specify because publicly they'll get flamed for that. But I, he thought it was funny. Um, and I'm like, he's like, but you should see me happy. I'm like, listen, I know you're smart enough to know like that's it's biochemistry. Mm-hmm. People's levels are different. Yeah. My level of, m- for me to be portrayed as that level of happy mm-hmm. for another person. Guess what? John knows about himself. I'm unstable at that point. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm in, I'm in an addictive and in, in, in like a dopamine state. Right. Which right. I love being in. But you know, what but my whole is. thing is a disaster. I learned that through a manic depressive episode. Like, yeah. and I, I, it's, it, historically it was usually to do with women. That's the only mm-hmm. thing that ever gets me like that. Too bad, yeah. Um, I'm a neutral person emotionally, mm-hmm. except anger. That's my emotion. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people like that, but like that, just that conversation with this person, like you, you need to be happier. And I'm like, actually I'm in a pretty happy place in my life. And yeah. for me, this is what it is. And they just like, they had that look like, yeah, there's a bit oh. of a short circuit going on. Like, huh? like, yeah. Hmm? Or like someone who's like, it has to be like this. And right. you're like, but does it though? Right. And, and I find there's, um, Sometimes it's people that, you know, perhaps they haven't had, uh, maybe it's lack of, you know, self-awareness, maybe it's lack of um, exposure to people that think differently, but it's, I've, I've come across folks where there is, is actually kind of a level of arrogance that goes about it, is mm-hmm. that they're, they, they're, they're unable to um, picture that there's a different way of thinking or operating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I actually, that really can put me off at times mm-hmm. if that bleeds into, but you must be like this, or <laughs> you say this, but I know because I would say this, but mm-hmm. actually mean that is like, yeah. no, I'm just actually telling you is like right now, I don't want you here. Please leave. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm suffering. Please come and take care of me. It's like, I've made my feelings mm-hmm. clear, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. which that, is, you know, like some personal shit. Oh no, no, that's fine. <laughs> I, I get a personal shit all the time. It's just more for you. You don't want to get specific reasons it's too much like um like for me like if like for well you know it's funny i just thought like i made a very inflammatory comment on facebook recently Mm -hmm. i did it on purpose because i was trying to elicit elicit a specific um i said nazi i called the government a bunch of nazis people got very angry at me and for me it's very offensive the way my people reacted to that Uh because if i'd said the word communist Uh 
who have factually killed more human beings than the Nazis did, even mm-hmm. though they did it to my people. They wouldn't have given Reacted two in shits. The same way. Oh, the camps are not putting people in camps. Blah, blah, blah. How dare you make that yeah. comparison? I'm like, more people have died under communists. In fact, people are dying under communism regimes today in yeah. camps. Right. right. So they're making an emotional reaction without understanding the point that mine is about like personal freedom. But anyways, off the p- thing. But my, the second part of the comment was, if you agree with this full stop, yeah. we can't be friends. Oh, I see. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I'm not interested in being around you as a person because right. we're just going to have two. You're not open minded and we're going to yeah. have at yeah. that. What do they interpret it as? Well, why don't you delete me then? It's like, hey, dickheads. I'm putting this is a social network. Yeah. Unless you're harassing me, I'm not the type of person to delete you because I actually want to see what, even if I think you're a complete moron for your perspective, I want to see what it is so that I can, wait, am I taking it too far or am I not taking it too far? And I'm just like, you know, if you have such a problem with the stuff I'm saying, because it's the same four fucking Jews every single goddamn time. I'm not just, it's just unbelievable, these people. They're the ones who jump on me every single time. I'm like, you clearly don't like what I'm saying. Right. Why haven't you removed me from your friends list? And right. I said to them, I'm not a child. Like, I don't need to delete you off of my thing unless you're right. being obnoxious. Right. We have a disagreement. I'll engage with people until I realize. This is not productive. They're not actually having a conversation. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. you're surprised by it. Like, for example, one person put out a New York Times article saying X. Someone else put out a from Science Magazine. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the one of the holy grails of publishing scientific articles. And their response was, you're not a doctor. Basically <laughs> implying you don't understand that you're article. What, what I'm like, wait. So you you have more weight to the New York Times article, which has been factually proven consistently in the last few years to be a bunch of manipulative lying dickheads pushing narrative this has been proven and you put more credence into that i'm I'm done the conversation here (laughs) well and and i think that's the thing right there's um you i I think we're we're approaching things in the same way it's good to have exposure to different perspectives um but there's times as well where it's like this is just i'm not gaining anything from this because we're not actually engaging with each other in any way that's helpful it's like there's just no there's no point yeah so and, like why bother yeah and i but i think it's you need this dialogue yeah like if i if you're a person that i don't agree with like you said we don't agree on anything but we can actually have a conversation mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. It, then it's productive right yeah. but if you're just gonna scream at each other like yeah um what bothers me is when like i can pick apart people's arguments from a logical perspective or mm-hmm. with some facts mm-hmm. and if here's the thing we have two as we were discussing previously, you have, there's two completely separate data sets mm, mm-hmm. that are saying different things. Mm-hmm. Who do you believe? Mm-hmm. The answer is we don't know yet, mm-hmm. which is why if both sides, it must be right, you're yeah. going to run into a problem. Because yeah, one side, either there's a middle ground or one side's more correct than the other. Right. But you again, you force it again. Right. You have a problem. Yeah. So and and that's I mean like we we know we're in a, a fairly divisive space. <laughs> well, I'm <laughs> so. I'm I've been saying quite in class, and I'm like, listen, and it's it's it's, it's not about paranoia it's about i'm just looking at history and human behavior we could be in a very rough next 20 years for for a variety of reasons and it does not help that there are certain organizations mostly the media and certain political orders globally Mm -hmm. that are antagonizing people on purpose right clearly antagonizing and openly getting caught like the new york times admitting that they're off the record they didn't know they're on record but they were and they're we just care about the click rate so it doesn't really matter what we say and it's like oh i see what you're doing here right it's but, like they're, you're you're placing financial incentives yeah in place in in front of things with like real world effects right? yeah yeah I mean, there was oh, shoot what was it 
totally uh, separate separate example mm-hmm. different space but similar notion right where there was um bloomberg right obviously they're mm-hmm. heavily embedded in the financial industry um they had a a, a, a policy um that rewarded journalists based on um stories that would move markets mm-hmm. right so if you publish that's this, not manipulation not at all. all so if you publish the story that even if it um you know ended up being factually incorrect if it ended up having market effect that was a bonus mm-hmm. right so spent on trump's tweets jesus yeah, it, <laughs> yeah so it doesn't matter whether it goes up or down any, yeah. anyway um, so it's that type of notion where it's like if you you know if you are simply extracting this for your own like financial benefit and the the more people go through this and the more outrage I mean that's we know that's the standard like social media outrage machine mm-hmm. thing right like it's it's incentivized for engagement and engagement is higher when things are fraud, and, and right? the sad part is a lot of people haven't, they haven't picked up on it right right Which you think that this is a fairly mainstream like the, fairly the reason why point. podcasts have taken off is because yeah. you can have real conversations right less manipulated there's still some sure um people are naturally drawn to that uh-huh. but then i meet people who literally only get their news from the mainstream and i'm like mm-hmm. you, for example rt which is a russian mm-hmm. thing on facebook it says state controlled media mm-hmm. well why doesn't the cbc say state funded media <laughs> Right. Yeah. Or I mean, I so and I said this the other day, but like CNN, for example, is not technically state-funded; it's a private company, so you, uh-huh. you couldn't actually put that label there. Sure. But if you don't know that they're in bed with the Democrats at this point, right? There's something wrong with you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you need to be aware of like where, um, what potential biases and angles are going to be, and yeah. where you're consuming things from, regardless of which, which you know, which side they're playing. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's fun, but I think I think. It's been a fairly productive, I guess, conversation as sure. far as exchange of ideas and the the uh, discussing the human conditions. All right, some of my podcasts are totally only martial arts. Some of them are yeah. this, and I'll go either way. I like both. Yeah, um, any final thoughts? Are you happy with the discussion? Or? Yeah, sure. I, yeah, I mean, I... Um, what were your expectations? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I figured that, you, you know, that we'd come in um, talking about martial arts and that I'd probably get, you know, discuss um, some things of like the meditation aspect mm-hmm. and how those contrasted and, and were complementary and, and whatnot. So it was like we, we kind of went through that. I figured we'd talk about the charity stuff. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. you, you came in basically. I, I'm talking about this. So you became in. It was like, oh, OK, that's totally fine. Yeah. Um, but that's why I like to do like one of the premise of I didn't when I first started the podcast, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do do i thought it would right. be one thing and now it's like who are martial artists or mm-hmm. who are interesting people yeah and that's be- really it totally you know? because i i think that when you don't you know box it in um you're just giving room for people from different places mm-hmm. right and yeah. then making it free form you're giving people room to talk about whatever they either are passionate about mm-hmm. comfortable about have some exposure to yeah because I, I would like more people to get into martial arts i think it's a phenomenal mm-hmm. benefit for everyone both Absolutely. as a practical self def- uh, if it's a self-defense or even if it's just a martial arts that's more physical than great yeah i think the attitude towards a lot of people have towards martial arts is it's all meatheads and yes there are meathead sure. gyms for sure and sure. i i personally don't like those gyms yeah i like some level of intellectualness in in, a, in an environment but yeah. um just letting people know that you can find all sorts of people in martial arts and that don't yeah. be scared to come in. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, it's, uh, I, I think that in like my experience in, in the gym has been that the, the folks that come in like 
you know, super hot and have that, that type of approach, like more of the meathead type, mm. like I'm here to beat the shit out of people. It's like that they either leave or it, or it settles down. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, well, they either get tired of me lecturing at them <laughs> and they walk, they leave or they're just yeah. like, they, they want the athletic. Some people need the athletic sure. uh, output, in which case I'm not the best for that, but I'll sure. be like, Hey, go, go, go stick around this. and go jujitsu or something. Yeah, like you'll yeah. love it. Yeah. Um, I mean, and the other part is like, I, I like to engage with, um, you know, I, the what you described previously is how I like to approach it. That is like you need to be acquainted with violence and how that functions mm-hmm. in order to actually have a proper relationship to it. Mm-hmm. Not that you are going to be like you know just tossing and becoming a more violent and aggressive person, but you need to have a relationship to it. So you know that's that's the same thing with uh, you know for talking firearms. There's even in that's a thing in in um, Buddhist thought and philosophy is around. There's a notion called weapon principle, mm-hmm. right? Just like. If somebody is standing there and like pull, brandishes a sword and holds it a lot high in the sky, like your people are going to react in turn. There's mm-hmm. a certain energy that happens there. Um, so it's like relating to that. It's like let's rather actually have a relationship to it than just like shy away, mm-hmm. um, because then you, you can actually you know relate to it, be informed with how it functions, and and it is a tool or or a thing. There's my excerpt. I've been there starting adding excerpts at the beginning as like a hook. Oh, the hook, yeah. Yeah, it's, I have to remember to like. Find, find, one, find something that's interesting yeah. but I think that's a good place to stop either way cool. so thanks for coming on and taking the time yeah absolutely I thanks enjoyed the conversation me. yeah absolutely yeah, appreciate it you're listening to The Warriors Day, Warriors Day. brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga turning lambs into lions